0: Red Pill. You know us, just two guys going beyond conspiracy theories getting right into the heart of the conspiracy itself. I'm Jason Spears and my co-host, Christopher D. It's an inside job. Join us as we go behind enemy lines to reveal the truth about another aspect of this occult matrix as we discuss in this week's Intel Briefing. Never forget what America did to us. Were the terrorist attacks of September 11th the work of foreign enemies set against the American way of life Or was this event, part of a mega occult ritual offering, powerful enough to compel supernatural forces to do the nation's bidding? We're going to talk about this and much more coming up right here on Operation Red Pill. (music) Ladies, gentlemen, everyone from across the podverse, welcome back to another episode of Operation Red Pill, where we like to take you beyond conspiracy theories and get you right into the heart of the conspiracy itself. Now listen, I know y'all are riding high, you've gotten done with a few of these previous episodes, we did a few of these Christian Conspiracy Coalition, and now you're ready to get back in to this deep esoteric stuff. And we don't want to disappoint those expectations. That is why I have commissioned Christopher Dean to go and do research on 9-11. We're going to look at some very provocative things. We're going to find out whether 9-11 was an inside job or was it really, as the official narrative tells us, a terrorist event. We're going to also look at how does the actual evidence truly stack up? And we want to uncover whether or not there were any ulterior motives for the attack that have not been revealed to the public. Now, before we can get into that, we have to recall Christopher Dean from the field. He is out right now at ground zero going through extraneous debris, debris that wasn't even reported to the government looking on the backside, seeing if it was stamped marked here in the USA or Maybe if there is thermite plasma and other residue on the back end, that he could take it to these government laboratories and have tested to find out what really is going on. And since he is so focused on the mission at hand, I need you to do what you guys do best. I need you to call him back in from the field. He only responds to hand claps and woman chants. So, women, please put your hands together and bring him in. Say, like Christopher Adam Dean. How's it going, bro?
1: Christopher, baby, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. It feels feels good to be back. Back in the home studio. Got everything situated the way I like. The internet is working.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I am happy to be here. Man, we are happy to have you. And by we, I mean me, myself, and I, all three of us, <laughs> are happy to have you back in the home state. You've been gone for a little bit, doing some things for work. Yep. And yep. now we got you back in. And it's kind of crazy. You're coming in on a powerhouse episode. Yeah. Yeah. This is a big one. You know, man, we talked a little bit in our Bush uh, Snakeheads episode about the bushes, about Mm -hmm. what happened um, with 9-11, particularly like where we were. You know, do you remember when? Yeah. And it occurs to me that 9-11 is actually over 20 years ago. Yeah. That's a long time. It is because there are people who now look at 9-11 as a footnote in the new history book. Really? They weren't around. Yeah. Think of it. If you're 18, you might not remember 9-11. That's crazy. If you're 15, Mm -mm -mm. 12, what's this 9-11 stuff? It's just what we hear about.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because doing research for this, I was like, this is this is different from a lot of the other. You know, we we talk a little bit about um, you know the JFK assassination, you know the the false flags and the trigger points for the other uh, wars and stuff that we've been into. But for me, I was like, this one's weird because because we were alive for this one. Like it, it exactly. seems so so current, but like exactly. you're saying, it's still 20 years ago. There's a bunch of people feeling about 9/11 like we felt
0: about JFK. Right. Or Tiananmen Square. Yeah. Like for me, Tiananmen Square happened. You know, the guy who, get ran, who got ran over by the tanks. And you uh-huh. see that in clips about the 80s. Mm-hmm. I remember the clip. It happened, I think, just around the time I was born. You know, these are these are historical events that start to fade into the background. And it's crazy mm-hmm. to think that 9-11 is becoming that for people. You know, that 9-11 now is this thing that just exists in the background that you hear people talking about. And the emotional toll and the psychological toll that that event holds for many people. There is now a generation of people coming up that don't share that, you know, right. and it's, it's 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 um it's fascinating to really consider that. It is. It's real interesting. And it's because of the recency
1: of it that I wanted to kind of open this a little bit softer. I think uh, in, was it Michael Aquino or a couple episodes, we came out guns blazing. Didn't even get people a chance to push their kids out of the room.
0: Yeah, I got a little feedback. Apparently (laughs) I hit him in the mouth too hard on that one.
1: No, I I wasn't upset by it, but I just think this one uh, requires uh, softer gloves a little bit. I would agree. So before we get into the, the episode, I think it's important to remember, like you were saying, that there was a real loss of life here. Real people suffered real loss and still grieve over loved ones and family. The lives of tens of thousands of people were radically altered at the events of 9-11. Fear and terror gripped the hearts of Americans the world over. Almost 3,000 Americans lost their lives on 9-11, and 40% of those still haven't been identified. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Nearly 6,000 American soldiers had lost their lives in the war that came after. 43,000 were wounded in action. Over 106,000 Iraqi citizens lost their lives due to the war efforts. And some reports even show that the death toll, the total death toll for the War of Terror is over 4.5 million people. It's the longest and most expensive war that America has ever been a part of. The death death toll has been catastrophic. And many of the victims' relatives, their loved ones, friends, are still feeling the pain of their absence that this event caused. Yeah. So I just, we want to go into it soft, where we're we're not saying that this didn't happen. We're very sympathetic. And I really think that it's because, because there's such a loss of life and it is so current, that's kind of what has pushed us to do this, to do this Never forget episode in honor of those not disregarding them. Exactly. There's also some other suspicious deaths around the events of 9/11. What do you mean? So, there's a uh, a pilot and an author named Philip Marshall. He wrote a book called False Flag 9/11. Okay. And I believe him and his two children died in a plane crash. Are you serious? Yes, shortly after his book got published. Interesting. Yeah, and then we have uh, Barry Jennings, and he was an eyewitness at the Building 7 event. He mysteriously disappeared. His loved ones hired a private investigator to find out what happened, and all they heard back was, and I quote, I have determined that this is a job for the police. I have refunded your credit card. Please do not contact me again.
0: That's wild.
1: Yeah, Dr. David Graham He was uh, Had information about the hijackers He was poisoned Bill Cooper who was a conspiracy theorist Investigative reporter He was shot to death Dan Wallace um, Who was the author of NY911 Truth Had a heart attack at age 23 Paul Smith
2: <clears throat>
1: Was on Chopper 7 He was run over Was Chopper 7? I'm not sure.
0: Was that like a news chopper or something?
1: I think so. Okay. Uh, that that was flying around during the events. Wendy Burlingame, she was the daughter of Flight 77 pilot. She died from arson. Kenneth Johanneman, he was an eyewitness of the event, and uh, he died by gunshot. They say it's suicide. Michael Doran, lawyer for 9/11 families, he also died in a plane crash. And then an interesting one was Deborah Jean Pelfrey. She died of suicide, and so did Brandy Britton, her call girl. And, <laughs> and these are interesting because uh, Deborah Jean Palfrey was actually saying that her call girls, because she served their, um, her call, call girls served the elite, had a lot of information about 9-11 that her call girls had gotten. And she was trying to come forward. I actually have a clip where, um, who's the Infowars guy? I can't. I don't know why I can't ever remember his name. Um, he got in trouble with the Sandy Hook thing and had to pay out all that money. Anyway, I'll play the clip. You'll know who he is as, as soon as he starts talking. But this is this is interesting.
3: Be concerned. I have no intention of letting anyone buy me off or make any kind of a deal with me. And you're I'm not planning to commit stuff. suicide. And I'm not planning to commit suicide either really protects you going on Larry King and other big shows. Uh, But you want to put it on record that you're not planning to commit suicide? No, I'm not planning to commit suicide. I'm planning to go into court on April 7th if indeed we do have the trial, and I plan on defending myself vigorously, and I plan on exposing the government uh, in ways that uh, you know I do not think they want me to expose them. I want them to explain to me in open court why they came after me.
0: A woman believed to be the one convicted of running a high-end prostitution ring in Washington has been found dead in Florida, apparently from suicide. A body that police believe is Deborah Jean Palfrey was found in a shed near her mother's mobile home in Tarpon Springs, Florida, near Tampa. Police say there was a suicide note, but are not releasing what it said. Palfrey was convicted last month by a federal jury of running a prostitution service catering to Washington's political elite. Crazy, right? Yeah, and that was on Alex Jones, right? Alex
1: Jones, yeah. I don't know why I can't ever remember his name. (laughs)
0: That's wild, though.
1: Yeah, she said that her call girls, like she was convicted, had been servicing the political elite and had inside information about 9-11. Clearly states that she's not suicidal, wants to rigorously defend herself in court, and both her and her call girl that had the information, suicide. They were hanged.
0: Wow. I'm starting to
1: see a pattern. right. It's a creepy pattern. But before we get into the nitty gritty, I think it would be a good idea to do a rundown of the timeline of the events. Do you think you could do that for the people, Jason? Can you let them know how it happened, how it unfolded
0: across the nation? You're going to trust me, Christopher Dean, to give them the official ORP timeline on the 9-11 events? For sure. Who else would I trust to do it? I was thinking maybe you would want to handle that (laughs) illustrious responsibility. This has been thrown in my lap. Um, I think we If we're going to do this It would probably be good for us to start about six weeks Before the World Trade Center attacks Actually commenced Um, Now Larry Silverstein Leased both towers uh, Both towers One and two from Port Authority First thing to recognize Most of us when we hear The World Trade Towers We think about the two Twin Towers but it really was a Campus that I I believe it was nine buildings, seven or nine buildings that that were there. And so the the towers were just two buildings that were on the World Trade Center campus. There were several there. Uh, Silverstein actually leased out, um, did a 99-year lease on Towers 1 and 2 from Port Authority for $3.2 billion. And at the time, it was the largest real estate transaction ever made. That's crazy. Right? The insurance payout was actually $3.5 billion. But according to Silverstein, that wasn't nearly enough. He repeatedly tried to get the insurance company to pay out twice as much, claiming that there were actually two separate attacks. One on building one and one on building two. That's clever. I almost (laughs) can't argue with the, the reasoning. Because if a plane had just crashed into one and one building fell, that would be a claim. Right. But a separate building got impacted by a separate plane even if the plane if the plane had gone through and maybe hit the other building you would be filing a claim for you know one claim but this is two separate events yeah that's interesting right like if you had a fleet of cars and two of your cars in your fleet got into two accidents maybe at the same intersection you'd still be filing two different claims yeah so it makes perfect sense I wonder what the insurance company did to justify not paying out
1: I don't know. But I don't think he ever got granted the the extra payout
0: for the second attack. Exactly. Now, there's a lady, Doria uh Coord. She was 37 years old, and she was a guard at Tower One. She said the security detail had been working uh, 12-hour shifts for the past two weeks because of numerous phone threats. But on Thursday, September 6, bomb-sniffing dogs were mysteriously and abruptly removed from the premise. Very That's weird. crazy. Yeah, yeah. Now on September eighth, two 2001, just three days before the incident, there was a power down order given to at least uh, part of the World Trade Center uh, Tower 2 complex. Yeah, I heard a
1: bunch of weird reports on this. Like one of the guys was saying that it was like from the 50th floor up, there was a power down order for all of their systems. So that would be like security cameras and that type of stuff. Some people said it was a power down for the whole building, and there, there's lots of back and forth. And they they, um, what is it? Fight or die on on the on the the fine tuning of the points. But there was at least in part of building two, there was a power down order on that particular day.
0: Okay. And now at 7:59 a.m., American Airlines Flight 11, which is a Boeing 767 with 92 people on board, takes off from Boston's Logan International Airport en route to Los Angeles. 8.14 a.m., United Airlines Flight 175, which is also a Boeing 767, with 65 people on board, takes off from Boston. It's also headed to Los Angeles. At 8.20 a.m., American Airlines Flight 77 takes off from Dulles International Airport, which is just outside of Washington, D.C., and that was a Boeing 757, which is headed to Los Angeles, with 64 people on board. Now, it's standard operating procedure uh, for to scramble fighter jets whenever a jetliner goes off course or radio contact is lost. In the year 2000, fighter jets were scrambled 129 times. That's crazy because you don't typically hear about that. No, no. They deviate, not the fighter jets, but if, if the suspected airliner deviates by 15 degrees or 2 miles normally the controllers in air traffic control will actually hit a panic button and it normally takes about 10 minutes to intercept the airliner in question okay between June 2000 and September 2001 the FAA scrambled fighter jets to intercept air and aircraft 67 times
1: so it's a relatively common occurrence flight goes off course you send fighter jets just to make sure everyone's okay right
0: yeah, now now common, not as in frequency, because if you look at the tens of thousands of flights that go over on a daily basis and you run that against these numbers on an annual basis, it's relatively low, extremely okay, so low. So it's low. not
1: it's not frequent, but it's not uncommon that it happens, right? No, is that, is that it fair? does
0: happen. Yeah, it, it does happen, but it's a it's a relatively rare thing when measured against the sheer volume of aircraft that we have over the you know United States controlled airspace. Gotcha. Okay. Now, there are several elements actually involved in domestic air defense. The air traffic control system continuously monitors air traffic over the continental U.S. and protected territories. And it notifies NORAD. NORAD is an acronym for North uh, North Air Defense. The air defense sectors are broken up into different areas. And NORAD has the responsibility of monitoring the entire airspace over continental U.S., And parts of Canada. They work in conjunction with the Canadian government to make sure that everything stays everything over the airspace. Any deviation from any aircraft from their flight plan or loss of radio contact is going to trigger an alert at NORAD. Okay. They're prepared to react immediately to threats and emergencies. They actually have the authority to order units from the Air National Guard, the Air Force, or other armed services to scramble fighter jets in pursuit of jetliners that are in trouble. If you compare NORAD's timeline to reports from air traffic control, it reveals an inexplicable delay in the times that the FAA took to report deviating aircraft. These delays include a relatively 18-minute long delay in reporting Flight 11 and a 39-minute delay in reporting Flight 77. The delays were made all, all the more suspicious given that in each case, the plane failed to respond to communications. It was also off course and it stopped emitting its IFF signal, so its transponder wasn't going. That's crazy because if what you were saying was
1: true, so it's only what fifteen degrees or two miles off course, and that triggers an event, right? Yep. But we're talking eighteen and thirty-nine minutes. The distance that an airliner is going to travel. In wait, wait. We're talking
0: eighteen-minute delay. Delay, right? Yeah. That's and crazy. And then being notified, yeah, that's a lot of distance is going to be covered.
2: But there are other things
0: going on at that time that we're going to talk about, which would actually help explain why that happened. Okay, I got it. Because on the surface, it seems completely crazy. Right. You know, how do you have that much time that elapsed? There's a reason that happened, and you're going to end up scratching your head going, you've got to be kidding me because at this point we're told four airliners were off course and couldn't be intercepted that's weird so let's get back to the timeline 8 30 a.m President Bush leaves his hotel and heads for Booker Elementary School in Sarasota, Florida okay now this is the time we normally see pictures of this you remember seeing Bush sitting down in front of the kids they're reading a book curiously called My Pet Goat that's what they're reading to the president that's where he is That's crazy. Right? 8.45. The National Reconnaissance Office in Virginia, which monitors and controls the nation's satellites, begins a drill conducted by a team from the CIA. We'll talk about that drill later. 8.46 (laughs) a.m. American Airlines Flight 11 crashed crashed into floors 93 and 99 of the North Tower of the World Trade Center, killing everyone on board and hundreds of people inside the building. 9.03 a.m hijackers crash united airlines flight 175 into floors 75 through 85 of the world trade center south tower killing everyone on board and hundreds of people inside as well 9 30 a.m president bush addresses the nation from the same elementary school booker elementary in florida now consider this it's been about uh 30 minutes or so from the time that he's notified of the first crash right okay Also understanding that the president's itinerary had been public knowledge since September 7th, why would the Secret Service, believing the nation to be at war, allow the president to stay in place for an additional 30 minutes? Yeah, that doesn't make any
1: sense. As soon as it was an attack, they should have snapped him up.
0: They They should, because at 9.03, after that, that plane hit, this is where you guys see the footage of the president's chief of staff leaning in to tell him Second plane hit the tower, America under attack, and then he steps back and you see President Bush still sit there and he kind of has a, a certain look on his face and he allows the kids to keep reading. If America's under attack and you are in a relatively, you're not in a militarily secured facility, the President of the United States, wouldn't you think that you would usher the President of the United States away from that location that's been broadcast that sure. everybody knows? Mm hmm. Unless, just going to postulate an idea here, unless the Secret Service was certain that his location was not an attack, was not a place of worry. Yeah. Just yeah, that would be the to only consider. thing that makes sense. Yeah. Right. So, here's what people don't realize 9 11 was actually the second day of a massive military exercise codenamed Vigilant Vill- Guardian.
2: And it's an exercise
0: staged by the Joint Chiefs of Staff and NORAD, which simulated hijacked planes in the northeastern United States. Okay. It did this by placing inputs onto the screens of military controllers at the northeast air defense sector, known as NEADS. So it'd be like a, like, just so
1: I understand, it'd be like a video game, right? So the stuff isn't actually in the air, but it shows up. On the radar and all of their displays because they're, they're practicing, right? Right. I wouldn't say it's
0: like a video game. It's going to look like real world, but it's going to show up on their displays. It's like if you were an air traffic controller and you were used to seeing, um, blips on your radar or indicators of flights on your radar, then you're going to have, we'll call them false ones put on there that are part of the simulation that you'll have to account for. Okay. Right. But it's going to be like a, a real world exercise. As these attacks unfolded, nead controllers thought that what they were looking at was actually based on the exercise and not real world data. That's, that's what helps what... to lead to oh, the okay. delay response that we were talking about earlier.
1: But if you were doing an exercise, wouldn't you act on it like it was a thing? I mean, just playing devil's advocate or trying to understand, like even if it was an exercise, wouldn't you be making calls or whatever or... Or how does that work? Do
0: you know? Uh, I'm not fully in that environment, but I don't think you would call all the way around. I mean, you may, you may account for it, but you're also going to have to figure out is what's being reported real, or is it part of the exercise?
1: That makes sense. Cause you wouldn't, yeah, you wouldn't, want to actually scramble jets if it was just an exercise right that, you're that, not gonna make sense
0: you're not gonna want to inundate the emergency response system and all of that if you know you're running a drill it would be gotcha. like if there if you had told the fire department you're gonna run a fire drill mm-hmm. at this school and then something catches on fire it's gonna take a little bit especially if the fire department isn't there for the right. information to get through the system somebody's gonna be like oh that's just a drill you're fine no it's it's for real Wait, it's really for real? Yeah, it's for real. Okay. So yeah, that's went, a
1: good analogy. Yeah. They had some back and sense. forth
0: with that where people couldn't figure out, you know, they were getting reports and they were like, oh, okay. And then they find out, no, this is real world. Okay. And it took a minute to change everybody over to real world. Interesting. Which again, helps to account for the delay. Now, Vigilant Guardian was actually a branch of Global Guardian which is an Armageddon exercise being conducted at Offutt Air Force Base in Nebraska in cooperation with NORAD and Barksdale Air Force Base in Louisiana. Okay. All of this is going on. Same time, 9-11. Do you think, and maybe I'm getting ahead of the game a little bit, do you You think it was are. Okay, (laughs) I'll wait. I'll wait. All right. Another war game, codenamed Northern Vigilance, moved fighter jets to bases in Canada and Alaska to monitor a fleet of Russian MiGs. Now, three F-16s that were located at Andrews Air Force Base in Maryland, which is just 15 miles from the Pentagon, those F-16s were flown 180 nautical miles away for a training mission in North Carolina, which left them unable to defend the nation's capital. Huh. To answer the question you were gonna ask a moment ago, I think this was intentional. Oh, absolutely not. This is all coincidental. (laughs)
1: I don't believe you.
0: All all of this. There's no such thing as coincidence. Right. Back to the timeline. 9.24 a.m. Fighter jets are scrambled from Langley Air Force Base, which is 130 miles away from the Pentagon. Now, that's a half hour after the North Tower is struck and about 10 minutes before the Pentagon is hit. Now, although Major Kevin Nipsini at NEADS orders them to fly towards the capital, they are instead sent out to the Atlantic Ocean. That's weird. It is. And nobody's been able to figure out who gave the order that override uh, Major Nipsini. Huh. But at 9.37 a.m., the Pentagon was hit in Washington, D.C., killing 125 military and civilian personnel inside the building. The F-16s that had left Langley are now 150 miles away from the Pentagon, which is actually further than they were when they had started. Jeez. 9.54 a.m., President Bush leaves Florida and heads to Barksdale Air Force Base in Louisiana. 9.59 a.m., the South Tower of the World Trade Center collapses. It took about 10 seconds for it to fall. 10.07 a.m., After passengers and crew members aboard the hijacked Flight 93 contact friends and family and learn about the attacks in New York and in Washington, they apparently mount an attempt to retake the plane, and in response, we're told that hijackers deliberately crashed the plane into a field in Somerset County, Pennsylvania, killing all 40 passengers and crew on board. 10.28 a.m., the World Trade Center's North Tower collapses, which is 102 minutes after being struck by Flight 11. It too took about 10 seconds to fall, and it fell 29 minutes after the South Tower collapsed. 1 p.m., President Bush arrives at Barksdale Air Force Base in Louisiana and puts the nation's armed forces on high alert. 2.51 p.m., the U.S. Navy dispatches missile destroyers to New York and Washington, D.C. six p.m., President Bush passes through security at US Strategic Command or STRATCOM's underground command center at Offutt Air Force Base. Now it's at this point, President Bush has actually visited both bases that are responsible for Operation Global Guardian under the guise of poor communication with senior leadership and staff.
1: So he, they accidentally sent him to the wrong bases. That that's the story.
0: No, 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 no. The story is, if you if you recall from what you see on the news, the the official narrative has been that Air Force One was unable to maintain secure and adequate communications with the ground. So at this point, I believe Dick Cheney was running things from the ground because the president okay. was basically he he couldn't talk and coordinate with ground forces, the generals, and everybody else. So we needed to get secure communications. Apparently, Air Force One did not have um, Wi-Fi like we have on planes now. In fact, once they retrofitted Air Force One afterwards, the same technology that it used to communicate with the ground was offered to the commercial market. And that's where we started getting Wi-Fi on commercial airliners. Okay. Curious, though, out of all the places he could land and he only lands at two places before going back to D.C., They are the two bases that are actually involved in Operation Global Guardian. Right, right. That I don't think is accidental or coincidental. Right.
1: It's very suspicious for sure.
0: Now, you remember we were talking about the National Reconnaissance Office in Virginia that ran an exercise at 845 a.m. same day. Mm -hmm. Right. That exercise that was run by a CIA team was actually designed to simulate a plane crashing into a building really yeah now at 5 20 p.m the 47 story world trade center building 7 which is 300 feet from the twin towers collapses this building was not struck by any planes and it remains the last of the towers and the world trade center complex to fall now let's recap on the morning of 9 11 The United States is running drills in which hijacked aircraft go in and out of radar coverage, fighter jets are being flown out of the United States, and planes are crashed into buildings. That's crazy. Six million square feet of masonry, five million square feet of painted surfaces, seven million square feet of flooring, 600,000 square feet of window glass, And 200 elevators, as well as everything inside those towers, came down as dust. This is according to Greg Meeker, U.S. Geological Survey, Chemical and Engineering News, on the collapse of the Twin Towers. That's nuts. (laughs) You ask me, do I think this was coincidental? I don't. I don't either. Too many gears are going on here. For this to be accidental yeah that's our insane. satellites are, are effectively offline Hmm. norads effectively inundated with false information we're running drills about crashing planes into buildings that's crazy to me because
1: in a lot of my research a bunch of politicians george bush included had made the statement that no one could have ever imagined that that a terror attack would take place by crashing planes into buildings and we were running
0: exercises for it so somebody imagined it well i find it very curious that politicians would say that considering that most of them are pretty learned people and they Mm -hmm. have a grasp on political history at, at best and whether you like them or not many know about the jfk administration And what is common knowledge from that administration is that the CIA came to JFK when he wanted to invade Cuba and looked for actual operational suggestions on how can we do it. And they pitched the idea we could crash planes into buildings and rouse up enough uh, civilian anger to justify us going into Cuba as long as we blame those crashes on Cubans. And he looked at him like, you are out of your mind. This is really a plan that you guys have already thought up. (laughs) So if they could imagine that back in the 1960s, I'm quite certain they could have imagined (laughs) something else in in the preceding, what, 40 some odd years. Right. Or at least read the papers. Certainly. But nobody could have imagined something like this. But the people who, who the architects that designed the World Trade Centers imagined planes crashing into it because they built it to withstand the impact of a 707, a Boeing 707, which at the time that it was constructed was the largest plane that was in the civilian aviation market. Interesting. Uh, they didn't have planes like 757s or 767s yet. Boeing had invented that. Okay. But the engineers had thought about it. So here we are, even in the engineering world. In the architectural world they're thinking about the possibility that planes could be crashed into it and the building was specifically designed to withstand that from huh. a certain type of plane it's a much bigger plane carrying more fuel that actually right. struck it but according to but, politicians but still, nobody can yeah. imagine it
1: i want i wonder if part of that is the psyop because i i know especially with the president that we have now there's this weird idea that the people that we have in leadership positions are too inept to be able to be able to pull off something like this. Mm-hmm. But I think I think it's just a psyop. I think they play stupid. I think it's all a, um, a,
0: sh- a charade. Well, I think the other I, I would agree with that. But I think the other thing we really have to strongly consider is the fact that what we are told is the public is not the reality mm-hmm. of what really is. And in particular, we're, we're told that the president of the United States basically runs the country. Mm-hmm. Right. He is the the highest person in government, yeah, the commander in chief, which yeah. he is. But it paints the idea that there's no authority higher. And mm-hmm. that's what's inaccurate. In fact, okay. people have gone on record who are in Washington in politics that talk about. There's a government that the public knows and there's a hidden government that does not change every four to eight years that remains in power that truly pulls the strings.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's crazy because growing up, you know, in, in peace times, people could talk about the fact that the government has technology, you know, that outpaces what the civilians have, you know, 40 to 50 years easy, right? Mm-hmm. And these ideas that you know, it's the it's the government's prerogative or whatever to to hide this stuff, and they're so far advanced and they're not telling us everything. That's that's okay to believe in peacetime, but as soon as something like this happens, all it's weird. All of a sudden, everyone flips,
0: and the government's telling us everything. Man, you want They don't have it. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, because it provides a a, a false sense of security. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing: what I was saying a moment ago, we. We, we get conditioned to think that the president is the highest authority in the land. And so they got to be the smartest people. They got to be the ones that are planning everything. And we don't factor in the reality that there is a higher authority that exists within the governmental structure of the United States that supersedes the office of a president. And it okay. is quite possible that they could be planning things, long-term events Okay. That helps steer the country. That goes beyond administrations, right? That goes beyond political parties. Yeah. I think once we factor that in, then maybe we could start to see things differently. So, do you
1: mean specifically on the natural? Are you appealing to the the supernatural entities that are influencing the government?
0: Both and.
1: Both and good answer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now, I think Building 7 is one of the most suspicious, I mean, if, if, if all the other stuff isn't suspicious, just the fact that Building 7 fell requires some looking into. Like, why? Why did this happen? And I, I have a clip with an interview uh, from a guy named Richard Gage, and he explains why uh, Building 7 requires us to responsibly look into the entire narrative.
4: Let me play that for you real quick. Welcome to a special edition of KenFM in Gespräch. Our guest today is Mr. Richard Gage. Welcome, Mr. Gage.
5: Thank you, Tommy.
4: You have been uh, uh, looking specifically uh, as an orga- organization uh, at the uh, Building 7 and the Twin Towers. Uh, do you have any takes on the destructions uh, in Pentagon, for instance, or have you left that for other parties?
5: Well, there are other parties who focus on that and... Guess what? They have lots of disagreement. Yeah. But, which is one of the reasons we don't focus on it. Um, because there's a lack of information, uh, there's a lot of misinformation, and there's disinformation and acrimony. <laughs> uh, but what we all do agree on is that nothing should have hit the Pentagon, or the most highly defended building in the world with surface to air missiles. <laughs>
4: He's tried to, to explain the uh, official um, story about the Building 7 and, and uh, this part about the... Um, it's wide as a, as a football field and 47 stories high falling with, uh, with uh, free fall acceleration.
5: How do, how do they explain this uh, collapse? Well, the, the hypothesis that they zoomed in on was the initiation of collapse by thermal expansion. Uh, due to normal office fires, and there were fires in Building 7. They were few and small and scattered, and again, fires have never brought down a a skyscraper. We would have had massive deformation as this progressive collapse ensued in the exterior perimeter structural steel system and breaking of granite panels and and windows all over the place because this instability, they say, traveled vertically up through the the system Mm -hmm. and their computer model shows 400 structural steel connections failing every second, which is an astronomical rate of failure that's not even natural.
4: So that means that uh, the collapse that we saw on 9-11, the Building 7, if if this collapse is described uh, in a computer model it contained 400 400 uh, um, what did you say 400 uh,
5: structural steel connections are failing
4: yeah every second every second uh, of the
5: seven second collapse
4: uh, but but this is not a chain reaction this is a, a symmetric reaction at at one
5: time the whole building according to the videos the well the, the east penthouse drops uh, a, a few seconds before but there's no internal cascading failure. You would see light through the windows, you'd see deformation up there. So there was some sort of a collapse of the, of the East penthouse, uh, presumably explosives going off at the wrong time. And then in the final seven seconds, the entire building, like you said, an acre in size, uh, 40,000 tons of structural steel, five times stronger than it needed to be, drops suddenly uh, straight down, symmetrically, and at free-fall acceleration. In other words, it's getting faster and faster and faster, just like this object, Three, two, one. No resistance. Straight down through the path of what was the greatest resistance. All the structural columns. So this pen can drop because there's no resistance. But a building has lots of resistance, as David Chandler, the physicist, says, or physics teacher, says that uh, that's why we feel comfortable going into a building because it has resistance. Right, right. I
4: learned in, in, in school many years ago, if I remember correctly, that any energy would always uh, uh, choose the, uh, the path with the less uh, uh, resistance. But energy hasn't done so uh, in, in this
5: case. Well, there's some other massive amount of energy at work to remove all eighty columns in this building at once, which which, mean, which is what's required for it not to tip over. Mm-hmm. Any deviation in that pattern, and this building's going to begin to tip over. Yeah. But it goes straight down, indicating a very precise removal of all eighty columns within a fraction of a second. So the question I put to the Urania uh, attendees last night is can fire accomplish that level of precision? So it comes down to that question. And if your rational mind says, no, fire is an organic natural process, it's not going to accomplish that level of precision, then you have a problem. And the problem is that that means controlled demolition, which is how they remove columns with precision, with explosives or thermite incendiaries, in this case for which we have the evidence of the byproduct of thermite molten iron. So once we come to that answer, we're sent on the big problem. We're set on to the big problem.
4: That's the point (laughs) of no return. Yeah, the
5: point of no return, because you're acknowledging that A, this is a controlled demolition. B, we were told this was normal office fires. C, we've been lied to. D, if we were lied to about building seven, then we must squarely, fearlessly, look at the evidence at the World Trade Center. So then we started the audience on that path. And I think 100% of them were shocked to find out that indeed uh, we have very solid evidence there as well. And of course, that sets us on the next point of no return. What does all of this mean? That's a lot. That's a lot of stuff.
0: It was. I mean, the information <laughs> in that was amazing. Whoever yeah, added the, the music to that should be taken out back and talked to. Because <laughs> <laughs> so that made it incredibly difficult to follow <laughs> Yeah, some of it was was quite
1: abstract.
0: But, the, but, but his what, points, I thought, are phenomenal. Yeah, the,
1: the first thing that I thought was that I felt outclassed immediately is he talks about why he doesn't, in his particular orga- organization, they don't discuss the, the Pentagon attack.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: he said, because there's a lack of information, there's misinformation, and there's disinformation. And I... I, I <laughs> I had to sit back and scratch my head a little bit. I was like, I don't know if I categorize my research in it so specifically.
0: Right. It's one of those things where you're like, man, I think these people are aware of a larger reality than I'm being led to believe or trying to think about. Like just the fact that there are three classifications of information. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, like, okay, I'm going to pay attention more. Right. Got to step our game up now. Right. (laughs) Building seven actually is, is a very interesting complex. Okay. It was considered the CIA's largest station outside of Washington, D.C. Okay. Interesting. It housed offices for the Department of Defense, Internal Revenue Service. It was also the Secret Service's largest field office. The Securities and Exchange Commissions used it as a warehouse to store over 4,000 files related to their investigations. Like, there was a lot going on in that building. Yeah, I had no idea of all that. The collapse of Building 7 is at the very least an architectural phenomenon like like the gentleman was actually uh, alluding to. And it should have been, in my opinion, investigated way more thoroughly. But mm-hmm. the building steel was removed from the site and destroyed before an investigation could be conducted. Was that just Building 7 or was that all of the, the Trade Center buildings? The other Trade Center buildings had the steel sold off to the lowest bidder as it was removed. <laughs> That'd
1: be like selling the body of a of a homicide victim, right before you do an autopsy.
0: Yeah, and when you got to the the Pentagon, the FBI seized the tear seized the the site and deemed it a federal crime scene. It too had debris removed before it could be investigated, which would be a federal crime. Yeah, doesn't it all sound like a cover up? Maybe it was just a miscommunication. <laughs> between coordinating agencies on where the debris needed to go. And just so happened at one site to be destroyed. Another site, it just happened to be sold off to the lowest bidder, which means we'll get it out here as quick as possible. Right. And then at the other site, it just, yeah, it just was removed.
1: Yeah, but, that's but, weird. But,
0: you know, miscommunication.
1: If we were on it. trial, for, if we were on trial for this, we'd never be able to get away with just saying, "Oh, it was miscommunication. We, it was it was an accident that we got rid of all of the evidence."
0: Yeah, it's a conspiracy theory. Right, right. That's how that would be. We be would be pitched.
1: Hmm. But I thought it was such a good point that he made that if you look at how the building actually came down, it it forces you to kind of reassess the entire narrative, right?
0: Yeah, because you have to put physics into it. Mm -hmm. And I think what people are, what the powers that be are counting on is that most of us are, we've been detuned. We're not Uh that educated on these things. We're not going to really take the time to just think about it. Like if you have floor after floor after floor coming down in succession. I think there was a scene in uh San Andreas with the rock. Okay. Where he's going to save his ex-wife. She's on the high-rise downtown Los Angeles. The building is unstable. She's on he told her to get to the roof cuz he's coming with a helicopter. Okay. And the roof starts to collapse. And they hit boom, boom, boom. Like in Succession because they're hitting the floors underneath as they go down. Okay. That's what he's talking about. That's the right. resistance that you would expect. That's mm-hmm. not what you saw. No, not at a all. a uniform descent.
1: Yeah. And we see this, but we see the same thing with the other two towers.
0: Mm-hmm. And we see de- that actually done a lot, but it's mm-hmm. only done in a controlled demolition setting. Right. And I think we mentioned this a little bit in the Bush
1: episode, but that was the biggest thing, even as a, a, a younger person— When all of this happened, I was like, the way that they fell looks exactly like the controlled demolition documentaries that I had been watching. And they emphasize how difficult it is to do that. Because if there's any mistake in calculation or blueprints or size of the charges or whatever, the building wants to tip over. Mm -hmm. And all three of the buildings happened the same way? Yeah, there's no way it was an accident. And it, it makes me wonder, there there's a bunch of conspiracy theories, and there's I mean, there's so many. Uh, there's one that I saw that thought they they weren't actually passenger airliners. There's some that they were the airplanes were actually drones, there's some that the airplanes were holograms. Like it gets it gets pretty uh outlandish. I, I could say Out, yeah, outlandish. But I had a question in in doing this, if and, and there is some suspicion on whether or not Flight 93 was actually actually went down because there's not a lot of airplane debris at the site or whatever. But just slightly tilting off the narrative, is it possible that Flight 93 was supposed to hit Building 7 to fit the same type of attacks as the other buildings? Because it came down the same way. The only the only difference is it didn't have the excuse. Not that it makes sense, but they didn't have the excuse of the actual aircraft hitting the building.
0: Perhaps. I don't know. Yeah, the the thing that has bothered me most about Building 7 was the fact that a BBC reporter actually reported on the collapse of the building while the building is still standing behind them. Yes. And I'm like, oh, whoa, 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 was that just an error? Journalistic (laughs) oversight?
1: No, I don't think so. I think they just got a little uh, trigger happy with the information that was being fed to them and said it before
0: the thing fell. But see, some people push back on that and say, no, that 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 was just uh, an error in a heightened event that is going on where there's a lot of information being passed. So you accidentally say that an event
1: happens before it happens?
0: Well, it just it was a mistake, just a, just a human mistake. You know, human errors do happen. Right. I meant I meant building two, but I said seven.
1: It's just That's a coincidence right. that it fell down.
0: I think we really have to... It's not that you want to believe that stuff like this is is scripted. Mm -hmm. But I do think that there has to be a certain amount of of sober assessment. Yes. Where we definitely suppress the willingness to just want to buy the official narrative because it's official. Because then we have something to latch on to. Because we don't have to do the work for ourselves. We don't have to think about it. We don't have to investigate. We don't have to really say, "Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa does that Does that jive? I mean, I may not be an <laughs> expert, but does this really jive? Does this make sense?
1: Would I, an average I can, person
0: really believe this?
1: Well, I can I can personally attest to the the draw to just believing the mainstream narrative because doing this episode was not fun at all. I'd, I'd find all of these tidbits, and I'd, I'd be doing research and go down this trail. And between the internet being um, washed, between the search engines not functioning the way that they should, between the the lack of information, the misinformation, and the disinformation, th- there's a couple times I wanted to call you and be like, look, let's, let's scrap it. We don't need to do this episode. It just happened the way they said, I'm, I'm tired of this.
0: Mm. I wonder what I would have said back to that.
1: Things we can't say on air. <laughs> yes, because it's a family show. That's but funny. no, it, take, it takes a lot of work and a lot of bravery to to reject just what they're saying. And like you were saying, um, that the media scripted. I wish I would have found one of these, but I mean, I didn't know you were going to say that. But there are several clips out there that overlay broadcaster after broadcaster after broadcaster saying the exact same thing.
2: Hi, I'm Fox San Antonio's Jessica Headley. And I'm Ryan Wolf. Our, our greatest, greatest responsibility, responsibility is, is to, to serve, serve our, our Treasure Valley communities. The El Paso Las Cruces communities. Eastern Iowa communities. Mid-Michigan communities. We are extremely proud of the quality, balanced journalism that CBS4 News produces. But we, we are, are concerned, concerned about, about trying one-sided, one-sided news stories plaguing our country. Plaguing our country.
3: The sharing of biased and false news has become all too common on social media, moral alarming, some media outlets publish these same fake stories without checking facts first. The sharing of biased and false, false news has, has become, become all too common, common on social media. media. More, More alarming, some media outlets publish the same fake stories without checking facts first. first. Unfortunately, Unfortunately some, some members of the media use their platforms, their platforms to push their, their own personal bias and agenda to control exactly what people think, and this is extremely
2: dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy this is
3: extremely dangerous to our democracy this is extremely dangerous to our democracy this is extremely dangerous to our democracy
1: and uh i mean the only way that's possible is if the thing is scripted so we've got to be able to come to terms with that come to terms that we can't trust what the government is telling us
0: you know there's an actual app that's out that um i think it's called ground news and its basic feature is Is it Uh lets you compare different news articles so that you can see what region they were released in, how the headline changes, who promoted the article. Really? It's actually really fascinating. If for no other reason, it shows you how controlled the news market really is. That we really don't have a free press. You have to send me
1: that because I'm going to be interested for sure. Okay. But um, going back to the Towers… If it wasn't the airplanes, right, and if it was, you know, controlled demolition or there's direct energy weapons, there's um, nanothermite, we can, we can get into some of that stuff here in a, in a minute. But there was uh, several firsthand accounts that noted that there was different explosions throughout the, the you know, 100-story building in, in the midst of it. And I actually have a, a clip here. Let me play it for you.
2: The ladies that are with me were in the World Trade Center in the first building and escaped through the lobby where they report they believe there was a bomb in the lobby. And even the turnstile was burnt and was sticking up, and they just told us to run. And as we were coming out, we passed the lobby. There was no lobby. I believe the, the bomb hit the lobby first, and a couple of seconds, in the first plane hit. Yes. They were having coffee in the World Trade Center when the first plane struck. And all of a sudden, it sounded like, I don't know where the subway is, but it sounded like a subway collision, a bomb. And it, it, it was just pounding, boom, 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 boom And I, I literally thought the subway had exploded, and, and all the cars could land on top of it. Cause it was so loud. And when you...
3: Did you see what happened? What happened?
2: Well, I was in the pass train, and there was a huge explosion sound. Everyone came out.
3: Tell us what you saw when you exited the subway station due to a lack of smoke. Eileen.
2: Um, it was very smoky, and then we exited on Church Street out of the pass train station.
5: Uh, at the time, I was actually in the subway, heading towards the World Trade Center right around
3: Franklin Street, and after the first explosion, the subway station started to fill with smoke. The subway cars started to fill with smoke, and the subways actually stopped.
5: I was entering the building on the lobby level. I was in the revolving doors when the plane hit the building.
3: David Dre worked in number one World Trade Center.
5: One of the elevators I think came crashing to the lobby level and all this debris came flying out of it and a fireball emerged from the lo- from the elevator lobby and was coming okay. toward me.
3: I was standing next to One World Trade Center and then all of a sudden I heard rumbling and we all
2: started running away from it. The glass like blew out and threw me onto oh, the, the sidewalk and I couldn't see for like 20 seconds bottom elevator
3: did the glass flames exploded out the front of the a world trade Center. And glass flew everywhere i asked him what happened he uh what was
4: amazing about his story was
1: so you can see it's not just one or two people and i shortened a clip that i had previously shortened because it just it goes on and on there's a bunch of people they, the you know, it sounded like the subway exploded. The, there was bombs going off in the lobby. Like there's a lot more that happened other than just the airplane striking the the top of the tower.
0: You know, it's interesting you say that because uh, we were just talking about building Seven. and at the beginning of the episode, we talked about Barry Jennings. And Barry Jennings was one of two people who came out of Building Seven that actually talked about an explosion before oh. the building began to collapse. In fact, they were blown backwards and Barry was one of the guys that said, hey, listen, I think we're going to die. If not, we got to get moving. Grabbed the other guy, and they made it down a few floors, broke out a window, and was calling for help. Wow. But he talked about it on camera. And that's why he mysteriously
1: disappeared
0: and died Can't say that's why. It's a mystery. (laughs) But, you know, to a thinking person, I'd have to assume the best plausible answer would be that would be a high motivating factor. Yeah. Yeah. I can see it.
1: I can see it. So we have uh, airplanes crashing. We have additional bombs going off. And then Christopher Bolin talks about thermite and nanothermite. And uh, even the the Richard Gage guy talked about how there's evidence um, from the the geological survey that uh, nanothermite was found in the, the debris. I mean, there's even what, like some 343 firefighters or whatever have died of cancer that were walking over the smoldering debris because of the nanotherm- thermite that was in the, the clouds and things. Wow.
2: I didn't yeah. know
0: that.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. And uh, Christopher Boland goes on and he explains that, like, you see, like, molten metal pouring out the side of the building and then even the debris smoldered for, like, three months. And the only yeah, it was thing... The,
0: sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. It was the longest burning structural fire in U.S. history. Oh, <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, this whole thing. I mean, they were putting fire retardant and water on this thing for months, and it kept burning. September fourteenth, New York had a massive downpour of rain that didn't stop anything. And there was a gentleman that actually talked about he got he got paints he got samples um, of some of the the steel and metal from the from the site. And he looked at it under an electron microscope and actually saw that there were indications of thermite, but also indications of an organic substance that seemed to be mixed in that would cause it to burn apparently hotter because the the carbon-based organic substance would provide an accelerated explosion. Interesting.
1: I didn't see that. That's fascinating.
0: Yeah, so apparently this is what... um was being done according to this gentleman. This is what was being done in defense laboratories to weaponize thermite. They were mixing thermite with an organic substance that causes it to burn hotter. Interesting. So you know what's funny is I was trying to do research
1: on this and I was looking up the the burning temperature, maximum burning temperature of jet fuel, boiling point of steel and iron and you know, a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a bunch of YouTube videos of people trying to create like thermite torches or thermite Sticks to cut steel with, and a majority of the YouTube videos are just your your average Joe in his backyard in his garage mixing stuff up, and he can't get it to work. But that's interesting if you're talking about an added organic component that that the uh, would you say the Department of Defense or whatever was using to weaponize it?
0: Yeah, that's what the that's what the guy who did the research on it was was um, was snady, but interesting. they weren't able to get larger samples from the sites because again the steel was sold off to the lowest bidder. Right, right.
1: Conveniently. Mm-hmm. And then the uh, Chris Bol- Bolin, he said that him and another guy that were looking into this nanothermite uh, got attacked and uh, criminally charged by the police at the same time. He said uh, officers out or not in uniform, but had body armor. They came and they assaulted him. And like 16 police cruisers watched this whole thing. No body cams had recorded anything. None of the dash cams recordings could be found. Nothing like this. So it's it's super suspicious.
0: So <laughs> things become more plausible, I guess, the the more exposed you get to real world operations. And okay. it's, if you're not in those environments, it's really hard. You can only go by, you know, fictitious accounts. But there's a show mm-hmm. that I'm watching um, called Linus on Paramount+. Plus. I think I've talked to you about it a few times. Is that the one with uh, Zoe? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. And um, she plays a a CIA handler who has a a, a QRF or a Quick Response Force at her disposal. Okay. And while they are stateside, they actually happen to get involved in a domestic incident because another CIA, CIA officer needed to free an asset that was being transferred. Now, of course, this is illegal for a CIA QRF team to operate on U.S. soil. I believe supposed it's comitatus. Be. <laughs> right, yeah. it, you're not supposed to be able to have uh, these type of forces, military forces that that work on on um, work stateside. They're only just they're only sanctioned to be able to work on foreign soil. So mm-hmm. the CIA is only supposed to work overseas, and that's why we have the FBI. Right. So if they gotcha. come stateside and do an operation, it's illegal. Right. Right. So what was crazy is. While her team got used to break this prisoner out, um, basically in broad daylight, they got caught on a couple cameras. And it got back to station chief and it got back to deputy director of the CIA who basically reamed her and reamed the other agent who you know made the request. And properly so. And the only way the okay. agent was able to save himself was to say that the informant that he was breaking out was actually part of an investigation into an Al-Qaeda ring that was actually just across the border on our side, stateside, southern border of the United States, and was actually planning an explosive attack. And the deputy director (laughs) said, how good is your intel? And he said, it's solid. He said, it better be way more than solid. It better be squeaky effing clean. (laughs) <laughs> and we're going to find out and if it's not that's your behind so they're going to find out evidence checks out okay. so now they have a problem they have an Al Qaeda terror cell here in the United States getting ready to plan a, an attack and they need to respond to the new intel that they have right Uh huh. so now all of a sudden the QRF team that was in question for what they did before gets reactivated we need you now to go take out this terror cell we'll deal with the fallout <laughs> This was wild. The way they do it is they embed the QRF team with ATF. ATF is responsible for looking into explosives, right? Uh huh. So, on an anonymous tip, we'll have ATF go into the territory. They'll work in coordination with Border Patrol. If this goes south, it'll be on the QRF team's heads. If Mm -hmm. it works, Border Patrol will take credit. Okay. So now you have agencies working together to do something clandestine and illegal. And so they go into this building, this home, they find the people, they take them out. They do have explosives there. So in order to cover their tracks, they have border patrol actually go in with bomb sniffing agents and real and state that the ordinance is too dangerous to move. It needs to be, disposed of on site. And so they blow up the house with all the evidence inside. (laughs) Right. And this is how they get away clean. Right. They dealt with the problem. They don't get caught. (laughs) Evidence is gone. And they back in the wind. Yeah. And then they got, they got their behinds called on the carpet behind closed doors between the national security advisor and, uh, and the, uh, uh, the, 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 secretary of state. Okay. Great scene, by the way. If you haven't seen it, great scene. Just for that. But <laughs> okay, I'll it check showed it out. me how you can do these things in a clandestine fashion. Mm-hmm. How it's possible to actually pull off uh, a Black Ops mission and make it look legal to the public. Yeah. When you start realizing that. that, then you have to start thinking more circumspectly. You have to start thinking more diligently. And not believing just a standard narrative. Right, right. Because this type of stuff does happen.
1: It does, it happens a lot. And the, the government's track record of things that we know that
0: they've done to us has been horrible. What are you talking about, man? The government done a lot, they batting a thousand. <laughs> now there's just certain people I have no time for.
3: Like if you're sexist or if you don't believe in
2: conspiracy theories.
0: Conspiracy theories. I understand not all of them, not most of them, but you don't believe in any conspiracy theories. You just think the government's just batting a thousand and telling us the whole truth. That's a strong stance to take. I still think that's
1: one of the funniest stand-up things ever. Yeah, it was. Hilarious. It's only like thirty seconds, but it's it's gold. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's insane. So outside of Chris Brolin, or Bolin, sorry. Uh, Judy Wood. Have you heard of Judy Wood? No. Several people I talked to uh, told me to check out Judy Wood, and she talks direct energy weapons.
0: Okay, this is interesting. Go when, it, when it comes
1: to the towers, yeah. So we know that the airplanes didn't cause them to fall, but then we also know that there there's evidence that thermite was used for the controlled explosion. Judy Wood argues that the cascading event was actually triggered by... Um, direct energy weapons, and this is of course hot in the minds of people now because of the Maui fires, right? That's the big thing that that set those off. At least that's what people are um, insinuating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she's got a a, a bunch of uh, interviews and stuff. Of course, none of it's on YouTube, like Telegram, Rumble, bitch Shoot, things like that. But she says if you actually watch it fall, that a lot of the debris that falls off of the, the buildings as it falls, just turns to dust. And she's like, that, that doesn't typically happen. So yeah, if you go back and watch, it's really interesting. And she said, that's how these, you know, you went through the, uh, the, the sheer size of it, what 6 million square feet of masonry, 5 million square feet of painted surfaces, 7 million square feet of flooring, 600,000 square feet of window glass, 200 elevators. All of it came down as dust. Thermite doesn't do that. Jet fuel doesn't do that.
0: That is fascinating. Yeah, it's because crazy stuff. If you were going to do that, I would suspect you would need an aerial based vehicle or platform of some sort. Maybe uh-huh. even a space based platform. Okay. I've heard Something. that a
1: majority of them are airplane mounted or aircraft mounted.
0: Okay. I would definitely imagine, though, if you're trying to take over the skies, space would probably be the frontier you would want for a directed energy weapon. Yeah, I'm not arguing that either. But let's say it is for the sake of argument. Wouldn't it be conspicuously convenient for the National Reconnaissance Office that controls the nation's satellites to be running a drill at the same time? If you just (laughs) needed to position a satellite above New York City. Yeah. The office that would help control that is running a drill. That's crazy. Hmm. Makes a lot of sense. Makes, it definitely should make you wonder. Mm-hmm. Not saying For it sure. was directed energy, but I do find that interesting. Right, because one of the other things, I think the Brewers
1: pointed this out, is that there were people underneath the, what is it, the 93rd floor, which is where the, the aircraft impacted 93 and 80 something. Mm-hmm. So they were beneath that. So they were underneath the fire and heat rises, but they were still jumping out of the windows to their death. And and that doesn't make any sense. If you put, even if there's mania, right? Cause you don't exactly know what's going on. Mm-hmm. The last thing that you're going to do is exit the building via a window, you know, knowing that you're going to fall to your death. Unless of course... A directed energy weapon was microwaving the entire building, and then at that point, you got to get out no matter what. That is, I don't know. I th- I think there's there's a few things. I'm not 100 sold on the direct energy, but I think it makes a lot of sense. I still have some some research to do on that in general. But yeah, yeah I think it makes a lot of sense. Position. Yeah, and then so rolling right along here with all the stuff that doesn't add up. So much of the airplane was demolished. So much of the building just turned to dust. All of that just dissipates, almost lays flat in New York City. But then we find a passport
0: unscathed from the violent flames and molten steel. Not to mention that black dust cloud. I mean, not black, but the the gray dust cloud that covered everything. Uh Uh-huh. So it, this was crazy. This was probably
1: the most like mind-blowing of all the research that I did because it's, it's to me, it so blatantly screams of a setup. And it's just out there. So, yeah, we're, told so? That, we're told that we, very general we, found the passport in the debris, right? That's what we're told. Okay. The official police report is that an unidentified man in a suit in his 30s Approaches a police officer on the scene and hands him the passport and then leaves before he's ever identified. That's how we found it. Really?
0: Yeah. That has all the fingerprints of OGA. OGA. Other government agency. Yeah, for sure. Like in my head, as I'm
1: reading the police report, I can see it unfolding like a movie. Right. I was like that's crazy, but they don't say that. They say, "Oh, we found it in the debris." Not that a spook found it somewhere, said he found it in the debris and just handed it to a cop.
0: Now, see, I hate using movies to kind of justify okay. a questionable position. But I think when you do a really good movie, you know, they say that that uh what is it? Fiction uh what what is it? It's not not that life is stranger than than fiction, but Life imitates art. art lim- I- yeah, imitates yeah, that's life. the one I was thinking of. Thank you. Okay. Uh, I, I remember in, what was this, Die Hard 3 with Samuel Jackson, my uh-huh. favorite Die Hard, by the way, <laughs> um, I, I remember a scene where he hands a briefcase that's a bomb to a police officer, and the police officer is actually on the phone with the terrorists. Okay. Right, the terrorist organizer. And so he's trying to find out, you know, what do I do with this guy who's handing me the briefcase? But basically he just says, you know, not the police officer, but Samuel Jackson's character, hey, we just found this in the park. He said, oh, 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 okay. I appreciate it. We'll, we'll take this on and and we'll dispose of it. Right? No okay. real questions. No, hey, what's your name? No, none of that. Uh-huh. Let, me, let me get out my pad and at least write down who handed me what. Just hand it off and they go. Now, of course, in, in this plot. Samuel Jackson is not, you know, a villain. He's mm-hmm. actually a good Samaritan trying to do something right. But still, the fact that they could just hand off something like a bomb to a police officer, no questions are asked. You get something like this on nine eleven with a, a passport showing up from a suited individual who leaves before anything else is asked of of him or her. Mm-hmm. Now, nah, well, I said him or her. Was it a guy though? I think it was a man in his 30s, yes. Okay. So yeah, anything that, that's asked of him, nah, that doesn't jive. uh uh-uh. not at
1: all. And that was the primary bit of evidence that tied the the terrorist into yep. the attack. It's crazy. Have you heard that the that a handful of the terrorists are still alive? I have not. Okay, I got a clip for you. I had a hard time following it up, but it's it's real interesting. So let me know what you think.
2: So what about the hijackers? It's the funniest thing, but at least nine of them are still alive. Walid Al-Sherry is a Saudi Airlines pilot in Casablanca, Morocco. Whale M. Al-Sherry is alive and well. Abdulaziz Alamari is a Saudi Airlines pilot living in Saudi Arabia. Mohand Al-Sherry is alive in Saudi Arabia. Khalid Al-Madar is a computer programmer in Mecca. Salam Al-Hamzi works at a chemical plant in Yanbo, Saudi Arabia. Sayed al-Ghamdi is training to be a pilot in Tunis. Ahmed al-Nami is an administrative supervisor for Saudi Airlines. And last but not least, Mohammed Atta's father claimed to receive a phone call from his son on September 12th. Fourteen of the hijackers based their training in Florida, and the five that allegedly hijacked Flight 77 lived in a motel right outside the gates of the NSA. Not to mention, the official autopsy report for Flight 77 does not list the hijackers. And the opening paragraph makes no mention of their absence. After these discrepancies were pointed out, FBI Director Robert Mueller brushed it off, saying that the hijackers were used in stolen passports and may not have had tickets, so there's no way to know who they actually were. So, if there's no proof that the hijackers were members of Al-Qaeda, or if they were even on the plane in the first place, what justification do we have for bombing Afghanistan? We have a Republican here tonight who's uh,
4: here to prove this is and should be a nonpartisan issue. I'd like to hear from Carl Schwartz, please. Carl.
1: So there's a lot of suspicious stuff there with the, the hijackers, right? Like, again, yeah. none, of it's, none of it's super conclusive, but it, 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 it raises some eyebrows.
0: Well, I tell you what got my attention was the fact of how many allegedly are showing back up in Saudi Arabia. And how Saudi Arabia is really protected by us. In fact, when we closed down and gave the 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 ground stop order and no flights were allowed to fly uh, in U.S. airspace on 9-11, at the highest levels of Uh government, the bin Laden family was able to get on private chartered aircraft and get out of the country. Really? Yeah, they got approval. That's crazy. It's the stuff that they don't talk about or tell you but in the halls of power. So the fact that so many of these individuals are supposedly dead, and I don't know whether or not they are, Mm -hmm. let's say they are, it's interesting that this guy is is saying that they're showing up in Saudi Arabia. Right, right. Our largest ally in the Middle East. Mm Mm-hmm, crazy. It does. And if these hijackers were of Saudi Arabian nationality, it is curious mm-hmm. to me that we never went after Saudi Arabia. Right. We went after Afghanistan. Yeah. That's interesting too.
1: Man, there's, there's a lot. And I mean, if nothing else, like, I mean, cause there's even a couple, you know, that we've talked about that like not hundred percent sure about direct energy weapon, but it, it, from this point in the episode alone, it seems overwhelmingly obvious
0: that it you did not happen the like they said narrative. Right.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Another really interesting thing that I found is, did you hear about the group of dancing Israelis during okay.
0: 9-11? This I, I've heard about. I cannot remember where. I think maybe it was the the Ted and Austin Brewer show that talked about okay. it. But I okay. haven't seen any, I haven't done any research on it.
1: Okay. I have an interesting clip. Um, and it actually, it, it talks about, I believe it's a Israeli- Talk show in November of 2001, and they're recanting their experience with the with the FBI when they got busted on September 11th, because a lady was um, was watching the towers fall with her binoculars, and she sees these. Um, I think it's five Israelis that are that are dancing around and celebrating and photographing the towers falling. So of course she she calls
4: and reports it. Amazingly enough, we have found the moving company where the five israelis worked was this building being used as a front for some kind of israeli intelligence operation that possibly was doing surveillance on the arab american community were there men celebrating or slapping fives or whatever
0: we had received an all points bulletin and uh i just happened to see the van and you know
1: hollered over to my lieutenant you know and i think that could be the van we checked it out and
2: It was, you know, we were all on edge, obviously, so I really wasn't looking to make friends with these people and neither were the officers that I were with. Once we started talking to them, you know, they were pretty much like, hey, you know, we're, you know, we're not
1: against you, we're with you. This is the uh, Israeli talk show section.
2: And at that point, we were taken for another round of questioning, this time related to our allegedly being members of Mossad. The fact of the matter is, we are coming from a country that experiences terror daily. Our purpose was to document the event. Our purpose was to document the event.
1: That's crazy.
0: Yeah. That's why.
1: The whole reason... Yeah, the whole reason they were there was to document an event that nobody, nobody had any idea was going to exactly, happen. Exactly,
0: exactly. Yeah. How'd you know? It's, it's nuts. How'd you get approval? How'd you know where to point your camera for something that mm-hmm. was just random? Right, right, exactly. Man, it, it's, it
1: also had me thinking I had just gotten off of doing some research on JFK. And did you know that um there was Israelis in ceremonial garb that were arrested during JFK's assassination?
0: No. Yeah. Yeah. They were just in ceremonial and, garb or what were they doing?
1: Well, there's not there's not a lot of information about it, but I thought it was interesting if we're talking about CIA um uh black ops, you know, attacks against the uh the U.S. government or the the citizens, I guess. I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. It, it's it's not it's not foolproof, but it, both cases where where these things are suspected and we're getting a completely garbage narrative from the media, there seems to be Jewish celebration or at least um, involvement in the event seems really suspicious to me. Yeah. And then uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, who is friends with Silverstein. So Benjamin Netanyahu, he's the um see the prime minister of Israel. I'm mm-hmm. not real. Okay. Um he's friends with Silverstein and uh they just talked to remind, all of
0: the just to
1: remind you. Silverstein people. is the guy that yeah, leased the towers from Port Authority. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then got the the insurance payout and all that. Interestingly enough, Silverstein made it a habit after leasing the building that Every day he would go and he would have breakfast with one of the higher-ups in the companies that functioned in his in his building because he was the new owner. Okay. Slick move. At, right. It, every day except September 11th. Neither Silverstein or his children went to work that day.
0: Say what? Yeah. That seems ominously suspicious. Oh, it's super suspicious. And there's a separate
1: report that shows that about 4,000 Jews or Israelis didn't go to work on September 11th because they were
0: getting fed some type of insider information from Israel. Just for the people that think we're just, you know, focusing and cherry picking, I just want to throw out there, Michael Jackson was supposed to be in the World Trade Centers on September 11th. Was he really? He was. He overslept. (laughs) Didn't make it.
1: It's just like all of the elites that didn't make it on the Titanic.
0: Well, I'm just saying, ironically, I know people enough. oversleep, and yes, there are mm-hmm. probably people who were supposed to be there that that weren't. And like Michael Jackson not being there doesn't necessarily mean there's a clandestine operation going on that the King of Pop is a part of. Right, because you know we needed his tunes afterwards to console the the nation. Right. And we Uh we couldn't have him dead at that moment. We needed him later on. After he uh, canceled on (laughs) Propopal. No, I mean, I'm sure there are other people that didn't make it. Right. Uh, And I'm sure at some level, there is probably just human decision for why they didn't make it. Others may Mm -hmm. have been divine intervention for why they specifically didn't go to work. But I Uh think in this case, we're showing a deviation of pattern that was inexplicable. It'd be one thing if Silverstein just didn't show up. His whole family didn't show up. Right. And he had a daily right. pattern of doing this without a justifiable reason. hmm That definitely seems suspicious to me.
1: It does. Then it, gets, it keeps getting worse. Then uh, I saw an interview with Netanyahu on, I think it was uh, Bill Maher. He was asking him... And it was funny because Bill was kind of uh, being a little bit uh, facetious, and he's like, you know, Israelis don't seem to have the problem that America does. America can't fight a war very quickly. What is your what is your secret? What is your secret to to ending these uh, these wars and these conflicts relatively quickly in comparison to America? And uh, this is what he said
4: one thing unlike america uh, israel seems to be able to fight wars very quickly what is your secret because we don't seem to have the hang of that
2: <laughs> the secret is that we have america
1: what <laughs> i think he said the quiet part out loud
0: right like you're supposed to think that bro you don't you don't say that <laughs> right right what do you think you meant by that's that? crazy well, I think
1: he I think he was being brutally honest. I think we are allies with Israel. I think a majority of our uh, congressmen and women and people sitting in the House of Representatives are dual Israeli citizens. I think that America does the bidding of Israel. And I don't think it was a coincidence that after the 9/11 attacks we go and attack an enemy of Israel. We are doing the war The exhaustive, prolonged war efforts that Israel wants done, but they don't want to get their hands dirty themselves.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. And I think if we add to that the fact that we know historically that the majority of wars that are enacted on this planet are done so at the behest of bankers, the financiers, the financial elites, and that the majority of financial elites are of Jewish descent. Mm Mm-hmm. Even if you allow for Ashkenazi Jews, even if you allow for Kazarian Jews, and if that's the case, and if those make up the majority of those who who occupy Israel right now, then essentially Israel does own the United States through its Khazarian bankers that hold the purse strings to the United States economy. Yep. Yep. Be fascinating. That's crazy. I had another little
1: thing. Um, you mentioned NORAD, mm-hmm. right? Which is the North American Aerospace Defense Command. So I don't know how you get NORAD out of that, but, but thought that's what North I found.
0: American. I thought it was North Air Defense. Is it two A's? N-
1: yeah, I saw North American Aerospace Defense Command.
0: Oh, you know what? That is the new name. They changed the okay, name. okay. But it originally was North Air, Air Defense. And so they kept okay. NORAD. And the way you get NORAD from North Air Defense is N-O-R for North, A for Air, and D for Defense.
1: Gotcha. Okay, that, that makes more sense. But did you know that in in May of 2001, by presidential decree, Dick Cheney was put in charge of NORAD, which was an unheard of shift in the chain of command?
0: Had you heard That's that? That's wild. Vice President being the head of NORAD? Yeah.
1: Yeah, so during the times of the attacks, Dick Cheney would have been the highest ranked operator in charge of NORAD. And Alex Jones uh, explains it a little bit more. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Before
0: you you play that. Okay. That's interesting. Okay. Because um, there was a guy who was the transportation secretary uh, during this time. I believe his name was Norman Mineta. Norman Mineta went before Congress and testified that during 9-11, there was an airman who would come in and talk to the vice president and would tell him, as they were tracking the plane to the Pentagon, the plane is 50 miles out. The plane is 40 miles out, 30 miles out. When it got down to 10 miles out and the guy came in to tell the vice president, according to Secretary Mineta, the guy tells the the vice president it's 10 miles out from the pentagon do the orders still stand and the vice president apparently whipped his head around and said what do you mean have you heard anything to the contrary interesting leaves the guy hanging that's it doesn't tell us huh. what the orders are but if you've been tracking a plane for at least the last 50 miles you know its trajectory you're advised of its intended target why did you apparently only have people reporting in? And if you are in, in charge of NORAD by presidential decree, then you have legal authorization to enact a kill order. You can authorize the shooting down of that plane. Hmm. What's the order that still stood? Stand down order, I think, isn't it? Well, remember, those F-16s were already outside of of defendable air airspace. Oh, yeah. Remember the three F-16s from Andrews, which were only 15 uh-huh. minutes away from the Pentagon? They were sent down to North Carolina for exercises. And the F-16s okay. from Langley were out over the Atlantic. And even though the the NEADS, Major, Kevin Nipsini, had placed an order for them to go to D.C. to defend the airspace, they were still vectored out to the Atlantic Ocean. 150 miles away. What was the order? I don't know, but somebody overrode the major's order.
1: Yeah. Well, it would make sense that it was a vice president then because
0: he was in charge of NORAD. Highest ranking. And at the same time, the president's supposedly out of contact. Remember, Air Force One's flying around. We don't have ground communications, all of that. Right, right. Even though the passengers
1: of, what was it, Flight 77? Or not, whichever one crashed into the ground, Okay, they were able to make contact with their friends and family.
0: Yeah. But the president
1: couldn't contact anyone?
0: Either Seems couldn't contact or did not have secure communications or, or okay, state th- secure fair. communications. Okay, I'll, I'll give you that one. All right, so maybe there was contact, it was intermittent, it was broken, we can't maintain secure Connection, So I can't give you orders or information over unsecured lines for national security issues. You know, we can't discuss right. classified stuff on open airways for legal reasons, as well as national security. You know, OK, maybe I give you that. It does not explain why, you, right, where you landed. There are two bases you visited prior <laughs> to going back to D.C. No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't explain miss- why there would be a presidential decree granting an unprecedented presidential decree granting your vice president executive power to be over a military asset outside of the traditional chain of command right all of that's wild Mm -hmm. and dick chaney was a powerhouse in dc who really really redefined the role in, in the in the uh the spectrum in which the office of the vice president could function within okay In many respects, if you've ever seen the movie, if you haven't seen the movie Vice, you got I definitely recommend watching it. Okay, okay, I'll check it out. Yeah, definitely shows you the 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 scale and the sheer power and volume that Dick Cheney's office had under agreement with with W. Okay, and how much stuff he really ran. Like no other vice president has had the amount of political or executive power that he's had. Right, because, I mean, this is a terrible
1: example. I know we keep reverting back to movies. But the West Wing, the vice president had almost zero
0: rule. Right. You, you know, it's a in, ceremonial in, office. Right. Until you're called but, to power. But Cheney changed all that. In big ways. Interesting. He had offices well, Let's see what in Alex Jones places. has to say. We had offices before we do. He had offices in other places, not just the, the White House. Simultaneously, he a, Yeah. He had offices. He had an actual office. According to this film, he had an office in the Pentagon. He had an office at, uh, the Capitol, his own special office. He had one at the, at the white house. And I think he had it a couple other places.
4: Dick Cheney had used an old connection with former wrestling coach and speaker of the house. Dennis Haster to get an office at the house of representatives. The house is where revenue bills originated. He wanted to be near the money
3: faucet. Hey. Dick, will this work for you? Two more offices in the Senate. Hey, Dick, I found this extra office. I hope it works for you. One in the Pentagon. Welcome to your new home away from home. I got you a little housewarming gift. And
4: later, when Cheney needed intelligence to invade Iraq, a conference room at the CIA.
3: This room is soundproof and secure. Cheney was
4: everywhere, but the most powerful place in all of D.C. was a nondescript conference room at a relatively new think tank called Americans for Tax Reform. Grover Norquist ran the anti-tax group with huge funding from the Koch Brothers Network, Big Oil, and Big Tobacco. His Wednesday meeting, as it was called, had become the center of the Republican world.
1: He ran a lot. Wow. Wow. That's nuts. Yeah, I'm going to have to look more into that. That's crazy. I didn't know all that. Yeah, all right. Alex Jones.
3: The North American Aerospace Defense Command is charged with defending North America's airspace. On the morning of September 11th, 2001, Vice President Dick Cheney was in control of NORAD. This was the first time in U.S. history that a president or vice president was in direct control of the military agency. NORAD was founded in 1957, and generals always had the power to shoot down or intercept hijacked aircraft. But on June 1st, 2001, just three months before 9-11, Dick Cheney ordered Donald Rumsfeld to allow him to take control of NORAD itself and the shoot-down procedure, and remove that power from the generals so they could do nothing. Here is a copy of the memorandum from Rumsfeld to the Joint Chiefs telling them they no longer have any authority. An Associated Press article in August of 2002 reported that the CIA just so happened to be running a drill on the morning of 9-11 of flying jets in the World Trade Center and Pentagon. Then senior FAA officials ordered air traffic controllers to shred the tapes from 9-11 in violation of federal law. AP learned of the drills because at a Homeland Security function after 9-11, they bragged about it. Oh, we had foresight. We were running drills that very morning. Then USA Today reported that drills held weeks before 9-11 included targets that were the Pentagon and World Trade Center. biggest holes in their argument is the fact that they never heard of a plan to fly hijacked jets into landmarks on the East Coast. We're going to take a closer look tonight at another example of where, despite the conventional wisdom, there were people in the United States who actually were preparing to defend against the kind of attacks which occurred here on 9-11. The North American Aerospace Defense Command, NORAD for short, has been defending the skies over the U.S. and Canada for almost 50 years, 46 to be precise. USA Today reports that in the two years before the attacks on September the 11th, NORAD conducted exercises using hijacked airliners as weapons and one target was the World Trade Center. We knew he hated us, but there was uh, nobody in our government at least, and I don't think the prior government that could envision flying airplanes into buildings on such a massive scale. But that turns out
4: not to be true. U.S. military planners did envision and practice those very scenarios. As reported by USA Today, the North American Aerospace Defense Command, NORAD, conducted exercises with fighter jets,
3: simulating hijacked planes flown into the World Trade Center in the two years before the attack. And so then I saw Condoleezza Rice get up on TV and say, we had never thought, we had never heard. Why, wow, that's a ridiculous conspiracy theory to say that. Pentagon planners also envisioned the attack on the Pentagon five months before it happened. The Pentagon had a drill in November of 2000 simulating a hijacked jet being flown to the Pentagon. So, between all the drills before 9 11 and the drill in the morning of 9 11, air traffic controllers thought that it was a simulation. Hijacked aircraft headed towards New York. Is this this real world or exercise? No, this is not an exercise. Crazy, right?
0: Crazy doesn't begin to describe (laughs) that, dude. Are you kidding me? Man. That is yeah it's is nuts. Yeah, absolutely oh. nuts. Okay, fun fact about Rumsfeld and uh uh Cheney. Uh-huh. Don Rumsfeld was the nation's youngest and oldest serving Secretary of Defense.
1: Pretty cool. Youngest
0: title. and oldest? Yeah, he served as Secretary of Defense twice.
1: Oh, okay. So he wasn't just the Secretary of
0: Defense for so long. <laughs> he got it in the no. beginning and the end. <laughs> no, no, no. He 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 served twice. And as okay, when he when he came in as uh, Secretary of Defense, his first term, he bought in a young guy, uh, a, a new political guy, in as his assistant, and his name was Dick Cheney. Interesting. Trains Cheney up, teaches him the ways. In the halls of power, and then Cheney becomes vice president and helps bring him back. So they huh. have a long-standing relationship.
1: So it makes sense that there's some collusion
0: there. It would. It would. Um, and we, look, when you talk about this, you talk about Rumsfeld. Obviously, you know him being the Secretary of Defense. You've got to talk about um, the the Pentagon. And when they released this this infamous statement, right, they talked about the fact that they had misplaced $2.3 trillion of government funds that was supposedly missing and couldn't be accounted for. We definitely appreciate their transparency on that. (laughs) Right? Yeah. What's amazing to me is that they did this on September 10th, 2011. This was the major news story. 2001? What did I say, 2011? Sorry, yeah, 2001. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, September 10th, 2001, this is the major news story. September 11th, 2001, the very next day, that story's buried, never to be heard of again. Jeez. What's wild is when the plane, or whatever it was, Mm -hmm. hit the Pentagon. It hit the only side of the Pentagon that had been reinforced for impact protection. And had it hit any really? other side of the Pentagon, <laughs> it would have been, it had just finished renovation. And if it hit any other side, it would have been way more catastrophic. So then you got to wonder, what, why hit that side? That was the yeah. side where the budget office was. And the records were at. <laughs> That would have shown where all that money went, right? Theoretically. Man. Exactly. Now, whether a plane actually hit the Pentagon or not, I don't know. They say that the the pilot who was supposedly in charge of that flight was so Mm -hmm. inept at at his aeronautical abilities that he couldn't fly a single-engine airplane. Much less a multi-engine jetliner. And if you had to fly it the way that they did, they made a major circle going downwind and getting closer and closer to the ground. Flying mm-hmm. these things at low altitude is extremely difficult. They're not like fighter jets. Well, I, okay. What? What were you going to say you keep? Sorry, I'm just I'm, I'm getting
1: excited because I, I, I came across this information and I wanted to talk to either you or, or Lance about it our buddy Lance has got a Lancelot's Roundtable podcast and he was going to school to be a, a, a pilot. But I heard that not only was it difficult, but an airplane of this size at 500 miles an hour at near sea level is not possible that the air is so dense that the airplane would tear itself apart at that altitude. Do you know that to be accurate or not? Like
0: I'm, I don't know. I Mm -hmm. mean, I've never seen... I haven't seen a a plane like that flying that fast at low altitude. I don't know why it would necessarily tear itself apart. I mean, they're designed to withhold... to to be able to tolerate pretty strong structural uh, pressures on the wings and parts of the fuselage. Now, it's not a fighter jet, so it's not highly maneuverable. But I can't Mm -hmm. see why at 500 miles an hour it would necessarily tear itself apart. Okay, I gotcha. That being said... I don't know how you're going <laughs> to fly it, you know, twenty five feet above the pavement without striking the ground. Right, because as soon as you bank that fast. either direction, you're you're going to hit gonna the hit. ground. But not even that; just the difference in, just the difference in yoke movement to keep the nose at an at a positive attitude, or to lower it down by attitude. I mean, raising it up or pitching it down. Okay. You've got to be you've got fine margins at that speed. Right? You they teach military pilots to do this at speed over a long time of training and with advanced sensory, advanced radar sensors so that it can show the ground and the terrain and you can get used to the hand eye coordination for things coming at you that fast. How okay. you could pilot a multi-engine jetliner so precisely. To hit this part of a building, and you can't pilot a single engine Cessna in a way that your flight instructor would go, "Hey, good job." There's no way. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. No way. So if you're that low and you're taking out light poles and everything else like that, if it actually was a plane, especially a seven fifty seven, I've got to assume that it would have to be remote controlled to be that precise at that Uh, at such a low altitude.
1: That's a good point.
0: Yeah. Which is exactly the the prospect that was pitched to President Kennedy from the CIA back in the 1960s using remote controlled planes. Interesting. If it was remote controlled, then it's possible that the people you say are terrorists actually were not on the plane and might actually still be alive. That makes a lot of sense. Right, you got things again. I, I think we, we've got to think about. I, I well, do want to. I want to clarify
1: one point. Go ahead. Whoever was behind it is a terrorist. Terrorists mm. aren't only people of Middle Eastern descent. You said they if, in are. fact, they're no, they're not. Okay. If in fact what we suspect is true that the government was behind it and Israel was behind it, then our own government or people in our government are the terrorists. And 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 that needs to might need a minute to to simmer or to set in.
0: Exactly.
1: Now we've done it before, Jason, but we can't talk about 9 11 without talking about Bush family corruption. Okay. I wish we could. <laughs> yeah, me too, me too. Seems a little redundant. If we go into an in-depth breakdown of the Bush family in our uh, Bushmasters episode right. several weeks ago. So, so if you're interested, you can check that out. But for this episode, I'll, I'll run through it real quick. So Jeb Bush and Marvin Bush both sat on the board of directors of Stratasek, also known as Securicom. The The, the company changed its name, its name somewhere in there. So they both sat on the company uh, or the board of directors for the company. And like we said before, I think it was September 6th that bomb sniffing dogs were taken out of the security protocol for the buildings, which would have given them time to put in that nanothermite and stuff like we talked about before.
0: And I think just before that, um, the the buildings infrastructure had gone through several deep renovations by construction. Okay, And so if you had to drill holes in strategic places, that would be perfect cover to do that. Right,
1: right, for sure. But also on the board of directors was a guy of the name of Walker. Let me see. I can't figure out what his, what his full name was. So it was Ritt Walker and his wife, Sally Walker. And this is interesting because if, if you trace the F- Bush family back all the way, they've got strong ties to the Walker family. Now, Ritt Walker worked on the board of directors at Securicom and got busted for insider—well, they tried to bust him for in, insider trading with Securicom. The se- The Security Exchange Commission even submitted the uh, particular uh, finance reports to the FBI and said, look, this is clearly insider training, trading, and they're connected to the terrorist attacks on 9-11. And the FBI's like, they don't have any prior connection to terrorism, so they threw it out without investigating. Interesting. And, and little is known about... The This particular Walker, except for the fact that his two business partners, Ted Shackley and Robert uh, Cin- Cincy, were CIA spooks, primarily in setting up CIA front companies, which I would suppose Stratasek and Securicom, having two different names, having these people set on the board of directors, was definitely a CIA front company.
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah, it, it's it's
0: crazy. Was he charged with uh as far as the SEC filings was that after
1: 9/11? Yes, it was it was right after 9/11. It was September 17th, I think, that the Security Exchange Commission. No, I'm sorry. September 21st is when they re- they sent those um, expense reports to the FBI. So ten days later,
0: they were like, "Look, this is suspicious." Thousands and thousands of docs. Remember the the Go Security ahead. Exchange Commission has a warehouse in Building Seven with four thousand files.
2: To their investigation, <laughs> yes.
0: I wonder if any of those files were destroyed. That re- or any, I mean, or rather, I rather any of the files that were destroyed were related to this particular investigation. I mean, it would, it would almost have to be. Seems rather convenient. Mm Mm-hmm. So the sitting president
1: of the United States has family members that are involved in the security company for American Airlines, Dulles International Airport, and the World Trade Centers. One of them is a CIA spook who is trained in setting up CIA front companies and suspected of insider trading based off of the terrorist attacks. I mean, come on. Like— what 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 is the term they use in court reasonable doubt like we're getting we're starting to creep over that line pretty quick
0: oh, I but it is all suspicious. around the 40 minute mark in the episode <laughs> yeah i'm but, way yeah, there's just down the But so table.
1: much yeah as much as it would be nice to rest in the comfort of the 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 mainstream narrative it's just it doesn't make any sense and it's naive at best
0: so then, There's what do too you much do going on. with that information? When, how do you reconcile that with the fact that that Bush, who many people at the time—I mean, number forty-three, W—many people at the time viewed him as a quote unquote Christian president, and he was on record as stating that, hey, you know, following what's happened on these events, we got to go to war, and and God told me to go to war.
1: I, I would say that he was he was only a Christian in name. We talk about um not JP Moreland. That's not the right name. Uh Manly P. Hall. I know there's a P in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Man- Manly P. Hall talks about how it was important because of the uh, the widespread culture of Christianity for the secret societies and the occult to go underground and adopt Christian terminology. Mm-hmm. We know that um, Baby Bush, number 43, was a bonesman, right? Right. So, you're a bonesman before anything else. And they don't believe in the divinity of Jesus Christ. So, whoever was thinking this or however it was being paraded around was just a facade of his actual spiritual ties. And even the – it was interesting because – In the Bush episode, we talked about how the classified documents by Rumsfeld to baby Bush had scriptures on them and pictures, you know, to to kind of follow through with the idea that God told him to go to war and, you know, who's going to be my hands or or whatever the scriptures uh, referenced. It's interesting that if if those particular classified documents got out. Like, the documents are classified for a reason. But all of this carries a particular um, accusation levied at Christianity. That's what I think. I think it's all set up to make Christianity look bad. I have a similar opinion about Trump. But we have to look at not just supposed ideas or where he came from, you know, because that's a a genetic fallacy, Mm -hmm. but... We mentioned that in his inaugural address in 2001, that he talked about an angel in the whirlwind.
0: He does, in fact, we've got that right here. We know the race is not to the swift,
3: nor the battle to the strong. Do you not think an angel rides in the whirlwind and directs this storm? This work continues, the story goes on, and an angel still rides in the whirlwind and directs this storm. God bless you
0: all. That is a creepy little segment. Into his first inaugural address. It is. And I think a person hears that. You're like uh, I mean what. It, it, listen it, it has the biblical overtones to it. You know. It does. It, 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 it uses Christian phraseology. And biblical phraseology. To really have that sound of. Okay this is probably a scripture he's quoting. And unfortunately it. Slides in under the radar because most of us are not biblically literate, self included. Mm-hmm. Right? We don't have a good grasp on scripture strong enough to know, hey, that ain't a scripture. Right, right. It's like Ezekiel 25, 17. <laughs> it's not
1: like Sam Jackson says it.
0: I know, but that, that scripture's not even in there. Yeah, it is. 2517. No, I thought yeah. uh I, I thought what's his name actually added that. No, it's in the Bible.
1: It's just it's very different than what Sam Jackson says.
0: See? I rest it rest it. I'm proving my point.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if I can find it here real quick. Just just for clarification here. Let's see. Ezekiel twenty five seventeen. I will execute great vengeance on them with furious rebukes, and they shall know that I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon them. But if you back up a little bit, because he's got a pretty long spiel in Pulp Fiction, we start at Ezekiel 25, 15, it says, thus says the Lord God, because the Philistines dealt vengefully and took vengeance with a spiteful heart to destroy because of the old hatred. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I will stretch out my hand against the Philistines and I will cut off the Cherithites and destroy the remnant of the seacoast. I will execute great vengeance on them with furious rebukes. So, I mean, I I get it, but it's definitely Tarantino took some some liberties.
0: Ezekiel 25, what?
1: 25, 17. I started at 15, but everything I read was between Ezekiel
0: 25, 15 and 25, 17. And that's wild. I, I thought that it wasn't even in there.
1: I oh, no, that it's, it's in it. there.
0: So the way that Quentin Tarantino wrote that line, it sounds like it belongs there. You know, the path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the iniquities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. Blessed is he who, in the name of charity and goodwill, shepherds the weak through the valley of darkness, for he is truly his brother's keeper and the finder of lost children and I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers, and you will know that my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. And then blam, blam, blam. That's normally when right. he kills somebody. Right? But if you <laughs> didn't actually go to scripture, and somebody read that to you or quoted that, I don't think average person would know that's not in there. It just got me. No, in
1: fact, in <laughs> fact,
0: I think Tarantino's
1: Scripture, Tarantino. Careful, you're
0: about to commit heresy. I I feel a heretical statement (laughs) is about to be made here.
1: I think that to the American ear, Tarantino sounds more like scripture than the actual Word of God.
0: That's that's funny, and I wouldn't and troubling all at the
1: same time. (laughs)
0: Right, I wouldn't disagree. But here's what it shows. You know, that's an example of how we've been conditioned to hear false narrative that's clothed in in Christian garb. The same thing is said for the angel in the whirlwind. That -hmm. whole thing, the race is not given to the swift, or the battle to the strong. You know, that's a a a biblical kind of a a biblical statement. Everything that's Mm -hmm. said after that is pure horrible. Because it rests on esoteric teaching, which who the angel in the whirlwind is. To make a long story short, the angel in the whirlwind is the apotheosis of Enoch. it's Enoch rising up to an elevated state and becoming the angel Metatron, whose codename is the angel in the whirlwind. And this is derived, I believe, out of of Third Enoch, which is a completely esoteric book that many of us do not hold to be uh, scripturally succinct. And right. it's distinctly different from first Enoch, which is actually quoted in scripture by Jesus. And I believe Peter. I mean, those are okay. two people who actually quote from that book. Um, that being said, this, this angel in the whirlwind is a demonic entity that was called on by president Bush in order mm-hmm. to seat itself in our, our principal city into to be useful in the affairs of the United States government and its, uh, its next ambition, which is to actually go over to Babylon, which is present day Iraq, and unseat the spiritual authority there in order to have access to the resources, both spiritual right. and natural. And, it,
1: and he does it as kind of a mantra because there's a weird repetition in that specific phrase, the angel in the whirlwind. I thought that was real interesting. It, it stuck out to me more listening to it this time for this episode. Okay. But yeah, he reiterates the exact phrase, you know, angel in the world. I was like, huh,
0: I wonder if that's a type of mantra. Interesting. And see, this, that yeah. whole thing has a direct tie to 9-11 because five weeks after the inaugural dress on Wednesday, February 28th, as we've said before, Congressman Major R. Owens of New York actually stood before the House of Representatives and prayed to the angel in the whirlwind which is completely mm-hmm. wild to me. And I have looked for video footage of this. Can't find it. It probably exists. I couldn't exists. find it either. It's probably scrubbed. Mm-hmm. But he asked the spiritual I, force to guide the future and fate of the United States. What were you going to say, man?
1: Oh, I was just going to say, um, but uh, sorry, my brain is just going a bunch of different directions. I love that we're finally hitting this because it feels like an ORP episode now. You, know, you, you can't just talk about the naturalistic events that happen and be an ORP episode. We got to get into the nitty gritty and the in the the spiritual allegiances and things that happen behind the scenes. Right. But but with that, you did an excellent job talking about you know the Metatron and the apotheosis of Enoch and all of that being the angel in the whirlwind. But this Mariah conquering wind. Have you heard much about what the actual wind is? No. I was trying to do a lot of research to kind of um parallel the stuff that you were talking about and reinforce it and stuff. The whirlwind itself a, many scholars believe to be the Illuminati.
0: Interesting. I Yeah, did not so there's know that. this
1: I didn't either. I so was like that's crazy.
0: It's this this evil entity utilizing the Illuminati to affect change in the earth. Is yes. that right? Yep, that would that, that that's it. That is fascinating. So yeah. here here we have that entity being prayed to in the House of Representatives and major Congressman Major Art Owens actually asked the spiritual force to guide the future and fate of the United States. Right. 33 weeks after the inaugural address, we actually suffer the 9/11 attacks. And we all Uh know that 33 is a major, major number of significance in the occult, constantly giving Mm -hmm. homage to the third of the angels that defected from Yahweh, sided with Lucifer, came down on Mount Hermon, which is at the 33 parallel, and actually instituted systems of evil and wickedness on this land, leading to the first world order that God had to step Mm -hmm. in and reset. Which led to the second and current world order and the coming third and final or new world order that will emerge and that we are being set up for. Like this all has direct ties. Yes. Yes, it does. And it's really crazy. You know, we know that this led to the longest and most expensive war in U.S. history and the development of the most invasive branch of the U.S. government, which is the Department of Homeland Security. You know, two years after Mm -hmm. being in Afghanistan, we additionally decided to invade Iraq in 2003. And most people couldn't get their minds around what's going on here. Why are we dealing with Iraq when I thought Afghanistan mm-hmm. was the focus? Right? That's we we are pitched right. Iraq makes no sense. On the surface it does not. But it does make sense when you factor in something called the Project for the New American Century. Have you heard of this? I have not. All right, it's a neoconservative think tank that released a report in September, 2000 called rebuilding America's defenses. And it advocated for the removal of Saddam Hussein. Now what's wild is 17 of the projects participants would end up taking positions in the Bush administration, including Dick Cheney, Don Rumsfeld, Paul Warferitz, John Ellis Bush, AKA Jeb Bush. And it's often cited mm. as evidence that a blueprint for a blueprint for American domination of the world was implemented under the cover of quote the war on terrorism. Now this report would boast several key findings including the necessity to fight and decisively win multiple simultaneously simultaneous major theaters of war. Okay. It's huge. The necessity to fight and decisively win multiple Simultaneous major theater wars, which would explain why you would go to in an Afghanistan and in an Iraq at the same time. Why we would okay. be fighting a two a two two theater war, and why we focus I gotcha. on Saddam Hussein in particular. Because one of the things that they did is they sent uh, a letter. After the September 11 attacks, the uh, what do they call that? The Project for the New American Century, or the PNAC, sent a letter to President George W. Bush, specifically advocating for regime change through a quote determined effort to remove Saddam Hussein from power in Iraq. The letter suggested that quote any strategy aiming at the eradication of terrorism and its sponsors must include a determined effort to remove Saddam Hussein from power in Iraq end quote even if no evidence surfaced linking Iraq to the September 11th attacks. Jeez. This letter warned that allowing Hussein to remain in power would be a, quote, early and perhaps decisive surrender in the war on international terrorism, which we talked about in our Bush episode, why there constantly has to be a boogeyman. There has to be somebody that we're fighting in order for elites to maintain control and to seize civil liberties and power. Mm-hmm. So just like there was a war on drugs that this president's father instituted, which allowed for wide sweeping reforms and an invasion of, of, of um, our liberties and, an, and a crackdown on the family unit and a change in our social structure. His son seems to be Mm -hmm. following the same footsteps, utilizing a different boogeyman and a different war. Instead of it being the urban youth of America and crack, we're going to make it the the urbanites of Iraq and Afghanistan. And instead of the war on drugs, it'll be the war on terror. That's nuts. The PNAC and many of its members voiced active support for military action against Iraq. And asserted that leaving Saddam Hussein in power would be surrender to terrorism. Now one of their other key findings, they needed to they suggested modernizing current U.S uh, forces selectively. They also mm-hmm. talked about canceling robot pro- programs like the Joint Strike Fighter, which actually produced the F-35 that we have now, as well as the CVX aircraft carrier programs, which we still have in effect. They talked about developing Jeez. and deploying. Global missile defenses to defend America's homeland and American allies and to provide a secure basis for American power projection around the world. They talked about a control of the new international commons of space and cyberspace. And specifically advocated for the paving of a way for the creation of a new military service, the U.S. Space Force, with the mission of controlling space. No way. I kid you not. That's kid crazy. You not. So, under a quote unquote Republican president, this is pitched. Two administrations later, under a Republican president, it's implemented. Man. You tell me this ain't why. <laughs> that is. Like, my brain is just reeling. Like, that's. Wow. You're like, wait, 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 hold it. Wait, what? For I right. we was talking about 9-11. What is this crap that we <laughs> going into right now? Wow. After they got all of that off in their, uh, in their report, they mm-hmm. dissolved the company. <laughs> that sounds about right. Right. We'll create this project. We'll put this, this think tank together. We'll put this document out and then we'll dissolve the think tank. Wow. Absolutely mind boggling. So when you're wondering why did we go to, to war where we went, it's because these are the forces, the political and ideological forces that are helping to steer the government. What's what crazy? Thing? I also go ahead. I also see here that it says
1: increase defense spending. Did you say that? No. Yeah, so this thing also says to increase The defense spending gradually to a minimum of three point five to three point eight percent of the entire gross gross domestic product. There's fifteen billion to twenty billion total defense spending annually. That'll be interesting, and a a little bit later.
0: But I, that's that's crazy. Yeah, because I think we're we're approaching that. I think we're right about at that level of spending. Yeah. But yeah, I skipped Jeez. over that just for the sake of time, but I'm I'm glad you zeroed back on it. Yeah, it caught my attention. I was like,
1: "Wait a minute, those numbers look look familiar."
0: <laughs> right. So again, like I was like like we were saying, this helps to explain the political and ideological uh motivations behind some of the stuff that we did, but there were as we alluded to earlier, spiritual motivations as well.
1: Yes, you know, that that's what I had.
0: Right, why did we need <laughs> To, to do what we did. And by we, let, let me revise that. Why did the government need to do what it did? What was the point of sacrificing 3,000 American lives? Plus another 100,000 Iraqi lives. Because, mm-hmm. you know, on this side of the pond, we tend to just focus on our own personal loss. We right. don't look at it holistically to see the overall human loss of life the overall bloodshed what was really the cost in this blood sacrifice thousands hundreds of thousands of lives were sacrificed in this and what I would argue was an unnecessary unprovoked situation enacted not just on the American people but enacted on the Iraqi and the Afghanistan Afghan people mm-hmm. that we seem to and by we I mean the United States government seems to have actually organized and been involved in why yeah what I think would so. be what would be the benefit and I think the benefit to, to doing this again on the heels of appealing to an occult power known as the angel in the whirlwind And who surrounds itself in Illuminati whirlwind of chaos and Illuminati organization that has talked about the benefit of creating world wars in order to yield power and control over large groups of people toward a orchestrated and controlled end. that definitely has spiritual ramifications and coming from a country, i.e. the United States, That was supposedly founded as a new Atlantis and designed to bring about the Antichrist. I find it incredibly peculiar that one of the first acts that we do is actually to seize control of a asset that many believe to be the body of Gilgamesh and Gilgamesh, as we stated before, is quite possibly the body of Nimrod. And Nimrod serves in Scripture as the first Antichrist world leader who created the first one-world government post-flood. Mm-hmm. You are. Where no- my thing? I never heard that sound effect before. That's, that was like three of them all together. You needed them all. Yeah, that's it. That was crazy. Yeah it's
1: it's it's absolutely nuts cuz even more so than just being the antichrist Nimrod stands as the kind of the patriarch of all pagan religions. Yeah. Cuz all pa- all pagan religions use the father god, mother god, son of god motif. And this was seen for the first time post flood in Nimrod, Semiramis and Tammuz. So Nimrod claimed to be the the sun god, and then had his wife. But then Nimrod died, but kind of came back and impregnated his wife again, so she gave birth to his reincarnation, Tammuz. So he's the the son of God, and here we have kind of the template for all of pagan structure. That this is the the core of paganism,
0: right? Right.
1: And it's 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 crazy that um. You know, So much of our technological advancements, so much of our um, philosophic advancements and spiritual advancements tend to go back to undoing the judgment that that was had on the the Tower of Babel, right? The dividing of the languages. And this is how you get the same story told a little bit different in all of these different areas because they all knew Nimrod and they all understood the structure, but then you divide the languages and now they all tell it a slightly different way. But that's how it works is the standard for all these different things. Right. And a lot of people think that Nimrod being the the first post-flood Gibor or Nephilim, or, you know, we're talking Gilgamesh in the epic of Gilgamesh, he was a demigod. Okay. And and we know that the the, we believe that the Antichrist is supposed to somehow be tied in with the seed of Satan. So there is a, a mixing of um, genes in that sense, right? Right. So a lot of people think that f- a- a- attaining the body of Nimrod is a stepping stone in uncovering the the genetic um, mystery to unlocking the Antichrist. Right. So right. It, it's crazy because it was just, it was the very beginning of 2003 when Iraqi archaeologists said that they found it. And later that year, that's exactly where we go. And you said that they, they say that we're keeping him at, at Right Pat, right? Here in Ohio.
0: That's one of the places I've heard, I've heard that he's actually stored. That's nuts. Scary. A little bit creepy. A little cl-
1: too close to home for my liking.
0: Yeah, because there's people I've actually talked to who have uh, security clearance. They've stated there is a section there that uh, Top Secret won't even get you access to. Wow. And I'm like... That's, that's why that's, I It's creepy. So yeah.
1: it had me thinking. I think I think you mentioned it in our Bush episode. But like the medical advancements that have happened since attaining the body of this Nephilim, Gabor, demigod, however you want to phrase it. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I looked up some of them.
0: Okay. What do you have?
1: So si- since attaining the body of Nimrod or the body of Gilgamesh, we have uh, the creation of artificial organs. Bionic prosthetics, nanomedicine. We have a new class of antibiotics. We have the completion. This one I thought was interesting. The completion of the human genome draft.
0: Oh, draft or project?
1: Well, it's called draft because I think they called it a project and they realized after they mapped it, there's way more. Like It didn't provide the answers. It just opened up more questions. So I I believe that I have to do a little more research, but I think they rephrased it to the draft because- there's just so much more work that has to go into it. So yeah, that happened after we attained the body of of Gilgamesh or Nimrod. And then we have uh, hemgenics. This this I thought was was a little interesting. It says with the completion of the human genome draft, drug companies had been able to work on new gene therapies that could treat and even eliminate certain health conditions. Hermgenix is a new one-time infusion for those with hemophilia B. And I was reading this, I was like, hemophilia, that sounds familiar to me. Now, I'm not a doctor, and this is a little bit reaching, but prophyric hemophilia is what a lot of people think is the underlying medical condition to vampirism. What do you mean? So I was like... So, uh, prophyric hemophilia presents in itself a lot of the characteristics that might attribute itself from a naturalistic standpoint to the, the mysticism and the supernatural aspects of vampirism, if there's not supernatural aspects to vampirism. So, you have issues like you have low, I think it's low iron.
2: Okay. So, there's
1: actually a benefit to consuming blood because other people's blood would be high in iron. So, you get this kind of thirst- things that would fix your uh, physiological issues. Um, I think the, the lack of iron also makes your skin super susceptible to the sun. So you burn super easy. So you have a tendency to not go out. So there's there's some ideas that from a purely naturalistic stance, prophyric hemophilia is really what vampires are. Okay. But if, if I think that there's a, a both and answer to this. I don't think it's one or the other. And it's interesting to me that we end up coming up with gene therapies that end up helping similar issues to vampirism after getting the body of Gilgamesh or Nimrod. That's fascinating. It is. It's a little interesting. We, uh, we can now do lab-grown blood. That's we can't disgusting. synthesize blood, but we can get lab-grown blood. And mRNA vaccines
0: shut up those are, yep. those are from Gilgamesh
1: well we can't for a lot of these there's no direct ties because there's no I mean like you said top secret's not going to get you in this room so they're not going to say that this technology came from abducting the corpse of Gilgamesh but it does all of these took place after our acquisition of this body
0: Got you. For those who are wondering, how do you how are you going to get access if you if you have top secret clearance and that doesn't get you access? Two things to remember. There are security clearances above top secret. There are security clearances yes. above what the president of the United States is cleared at. hmm By the way, the president of the United States doesn't have to be vetted for security clearances the way everybody else does. As soon as he's elected, he's automatically deemed vetted. Interesting. It's a wild thing. But that being said, there's also a security clearance called special access. And oh, okay. you would need that in order to access these special access sites, special access sites. Interesting. Right. But so, getting back to things that we have bec- that we have achieved after acquiring the body of Gilgamesh. Well, that's
1: about all I had for specifically medical things, but if we're looking at the impact of 9-11 on the rest of the world, I found this article by Radio Free Europe that I thought was really interesting and brought up some perspectives that I hadn't even considered. Okay. So areas that have benefited and and changed due to the 9-11 attacks, and this ties back to the Think Tank report that you brought up, but the U.S. military industrial complex. The year since 9-11, I'm reading the article here the years since 9-11, have witnessed the biggest expansion of the U.S. national security state since the Cold War. Cold War. I cannot say war today. Over the course of a decade, Washington has spent well over $7 trillion on the Department of Defense, the intelligence community, and the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. The U.S. intelligence budget alone, for example, has doubled over the past 10 years. And that's exactly what they were talked about doing. Exactly. The creation of the Department of Homeland Security and the establishment of a new director of national intelligence amounted to the largest reorganization of the federal government since World War II.
0: That's interesting, because they would be talking about the National Security Act of 1947. Okay. Where they created the Department of Defense and the Marine Corps and separated you know, the Air Force from the Army, made the, you know these distinct uh, branches of service. All of the things that
1: today we think have just always been there. Exactly.
0: Exactly. The the creation of the CIA was done at that time. They completely restructured the, the executive branch. Interesting. So yeah, that that's a lot of changes. Yeah. That's a big outside of
1: it is outside of that. We have private security contractors, it says before 9/11 there were just a few private security companies in the world usually operating well outside the limelight but over the past decade the business has exploded into a multi-billion dollar industry that growth was spurred that sorry that growth has spurred concerns about the wisdom of empowering private companies to carry out many of the functions once performed by official military During the war in Iraq, the name of the company, Blackwater, became such a synonymous gun-toting irresponsibility that it was forced to rebrand itself. Now it calls itself, rather mysteriously, XE. Next year, the U.S. State Department is actually set to double the number of private security contractors working for it in Iraq, from 2,700 to 5,500.
0: Huh. I'd always wonder what happened to Blackwater.
1: Yeah, they just said they just got rebranded, but when it says you know private security contractors is and, and maybe you can correct me here.
0: That's just mercenaries, right? Like that's what we're talking about. Not necessarily. I mean, the, some no? of them do play that, but no, there are ones that actually do security roles. They'll do things that they don't well, have to necessarily answer within the bureaucracy of the of DOD. But what's a
1: mercenary? Isn't it just a gun for hire? Or am I or am I not? Yeah, but
0: my point is that not all operations are guns for hire. Okay, I got you. We may need you to do forces like, let's say, drive a fuel truck outside of the protected base of DOD. And not necessarily in a quote-unquote defined combat zone, but in a hostile theater. And you might take fire. But your job is to get fuel from here to here or get supplies from here to here. Now, you can engage without the limitations of uh, DOD rules of engagement as a private contractor.
1: Interesting. So it's different parameters. Okay. Do you think that it's a dangerous game to get into instead of using official military channels to hire outside private contractors?
0: It's tomato, tomato. Okay. And here's what I mean. Most of us think that DOD is safe. Because it's within the confines of government. But what makes us think that DOD cannot be hired out to do the bidding of uh, a private individual <laughs> with enough money, clout, and power? Yeah,
1: that that's fair. I mean, we were talking about doing Israel's bidding. So, yeah, I think you're right.
0: Yeah, that's why I would say tomato, tomato. Um, same with, you know, being a private contractor. I had thought about getting into it once, you know, coming out of the security industry. That was one of the things a lot of people uh-huh. talked about going to do. Like you can make a lot of money doing that. I don't particularly like having bullets flying at me though. Yeah. But I had people that Doesn't I seem... knew that wanted to go over there and start the process. They didn't they didn't uh go through with it. But it was definitely stuff okay. we talked about, you know, on a daily basis. You know, you want to do this? Do you know how much they're paying to be over there? To be overseas in a year, what you can make there is two, three times what you'd ever make here, tax free. A lot of benefits. Yeah. Very, very lucrative business. But you would put yourself into some morally questionable situations. Right, right. Especially if you were chasing the money. Mm -hmm. That being said, I'm not so sure that we could, and I don't mean this to be offensive to anybody that has served, um, but I'm, I'm not sure how dogmatically we could be about the operations conducted by the Department of Defense are sanctioned, and by sanctioned we mean morally ethical. And then turn around and be like the operations by a private military organization is completely unethical. Okay. I don't think that would no, be No, that fair. makes sense. I think it would kind of be like what people do with sniper and assassin. You, know, you can be in a sniper. Okay. And it doesn't necessarily make you an assassin, but that's the way it's kind of been pitched over here. You know, in, in Western mind, and it's not necessarily right. the case in reality.
1: I gotcha. I gotcha. That makes that makes a lot of sense. This this section of the article I found very interesting. He says that atheism changed and got a huge benefit from nine eleven. Okay, how? During the Cold War, the West uh, communist opponents prided themselves on their atheism which made professing the creed of non-belief somewhat complicated. Not so in the 21st century. The spectacle of religiously motivated aggression presented by the September 11 attacks has provided a powerful argument to those who dismiss faith as mere superstition. Philosopher Daniel Dennett, physicist Stephen Hawking, and journalist Christopher Hitchens have all figured prominently in the attacks on organized religion. Prominent atheist Richard Dawkins sold 2 million copies of his 2006 book, The God Delusion, an achievement that this guy says would have been hard to imagine before the war on terror. Interesting. I think you get the the radical Islamists that are put front and center and blamed for the attack, mm-hmm. and then you get Rumsfeld and Bush who are using scripture and putting... Um, you know, Bible verses and images of this holy war on the covers of um, top secret documents that then get leaked to everyone. I think it's all part of the play to make religion look bad, when really it's all of these other people that are committing the atrocities.
0: Yeah, that's a real interesting perspective because I wouldn't have thought about these other attached areas or ten- tangential topics that apparently have had have been affected by nine eleven. Uh, Yeah, I didn't think about it either, but it makes a lot of sense. It does.
1: The executive branch is another one. In the weeks following September 11, Congress passed two laws that gave the White House far-reaching powers for prosecuting the war against al-Qaeda. The first, the authorization for use of military force, granted the presidency the authority to use all necessary and appropriate force against the terrorists essentially carte blanche for the president to do whatever he deemed worth doing. The second, the USA Patriot Act gave the federal government broad scope for conducting surveillance against its own citizens with the aim of preventing future attacks.
0: Yeah, it was interesting. Again, if you go back to the movie vice, it kind of details this a little bit, how they went through legally to see if there was legal, uh, not justification, but if there legal precedents that would allow for, Rapid expansion of executive powers. Really, and they talked with right House counsel and, and other lawyers, and I think it was uh, essential. There, there were a couple people that they got in positions of power because of their position on executive uh, expansion of executive powers. I can't remember who the, the the person was who they had. I, I can't remember if it was um, was Scalia. I think he may have been one that they helped push in the position of power because he was sensitive to this. He, he was uh, one that, that would be okay with extending, expanding executive privilege.
1: Okay. Okay. Interesting. And So it's
0: definitely interesting. They, they made a clandestine, not a clandestine, but they made a considerable effort to expand executive powers. Right. Beyond what right. they had been in years prior and in prior administrations. Mm-hmm. And bro, the
1: other thing about the Patriot Act that I think is absolutely crazy is that the usual process of public hearings, markups, uh, you know, the the floor debate, all of it was almost entirely bypassed. And many of the U.S. representatives and senators admitted admitted after the passage of the Patriot Act that they never even read it before they voted on it. You that know, should be I heard
0: about that. I actually heard people on, on flat out on record saw it on uh, YouTube. They're like, "Listen, mm-hmm. let me school you to something. This is Congress. We rarely read all the bills. That's that's not good <laughs> at yeah. all. At all, See, we got stuff getting passed that is not getting read. Mm-hmm. Oh no, that that's that's outlandish. Yeah, yeah. But it made me wonder. Okay, look, Patriot Act. I, I, I was new to the game. When this first started, you know, I talked about this on another episode when the Patriot Act was introduced and I was at, at at college. I remember going there, sitting to the student lounge. We were sitting around talking and there was a guy probably doing exactly what we're, we do now, trying to wake mm-hmm. up the dummies. I got to take <laughs> that back because <laughs> I was in that group trying to wake up those who had been detuned and sleep under the, of the <laughs> matrix. Right, right, right. And I was a dummy and I was arguing the standard narrative. And I was like, no, it's a good Mm -hmm. thing. We've got a Christian president, number one. He's trying to do Lord's
1: work. It (laughs) it says Patriot right in it.
0: Right. It's for the Patriots. It can't be bad. And all he's trying to do is make sure that we stay safe. I don't see what the issue is. Mm -hmm. This dude went down the line. And one of the things I believe he brought up was the whole idea, like, when did they write it? I was like, when they wrote Uh it. Hello? That's when they wrote it. (laughs) They wrote it when they wrote it. But he has a good point. How do you come up with a document that size that quickly for an event that was supposedly mm-hmm. not planned? Right. Exactly. Like we talk was it about 10,000 pages? It was a lot. Yeah. These are detailed pages. Mm-hmm. Somebody had to think about this beforehand. Somebody was commissioned to write this. And it's probably was a classified document that you don't want to get out. Right. And they put it together, lawyer speak, all of that stuff to provide for sweeping expansion of the office of presidential off presidential powers in the executive office, the introduction of the surveillance state. I mean, a number of of sweeping changes that were done. That is not just quick language. It's not. This thing pops up. We've got an emotional, turbulent uh, atmosphere that that Congress is in. And, of course, they're going to pass whatever you ask. Mm -hmm. And this gets pushed through. The scary thing is that it has the same echo of what Hitler did. How do you mean? Well, I believe um, back in 19, I want to say it was like 30 something. There was a building that burnt down, um, and they found this, this guy, this kid behind the building, major uh, Nazi building that burnt down, found this kid half-naked, and they interrogate him and tried him, found him guilty, beheaded him, right? And then Hitler, same night, rounds up several other suspected communists and executes them as well because of the okay. uproar of this tragedy that had happened, where historians say that they believe... That the Gestapo actually tunneled in underneath the building, soaked it in gasoline and other chemicals. And then this kid may have lit it on fire, but the kid was the Patsy. Jeez. The national uproar allowed for Hitler to push through uh legislation that made it illegal to talk about anything that you disagree with the with the Nazi Party about. Yeah, it's it sounds like it's the exact same. Right, same same basic pattern that we seem to have actually adopted for ourselves. And, and this is yeah. absolutely wild, man. It's like this type of stuff. Again, this is not everybody has lived this like you and I have. Mm-hmm. But having been a person who lived it and went through it, I'm now looking at it as this is a pattern that is used to warrant control over a group of people. to a Tavistockian approach. And so now I need to be more considerate and careful and sober-minded moving forward looking at other other events that are transpired against the American public that I'm told is one thing. Now that I've lived through this, I need to be more suspect of the next thing. Right, absolutely.
1: And one of the things that kind of um, snapped me tight or, or had me look at this thing a little bit more soberly, you talked about a while back, and I can't remember exactly what it is, but you went through all the 11s that show up in the 911 catastrophe. And I was like, there's no way if this thing wasn't specifically orchestrated and planned that all of this would have been accidental. Do you remember what those 11 are or what the all of
0: the 11s are? Um <laughs> number 1. Um the phone number called during the emergency, 911. First 11. Okay. Matches the date of the event. Second 11. All right. The event happened 11 years to the date following George H.W. Bush's number 41, his New World Order speech that he gave on September 11th, 1990, before a joint session of Congress. And that was actually 11 years before 2012, which, according to the esoteric prophecy on the back of the dollar bill, is going to mark the change into the new golden era of Apollo. Okay, Number four. Flight 11 was crashed into the Twin Towers, whose appearance side by side not only forms a Masonic-like pillared gateway, but also architecturally depicts the number 11. Five. All right. Flight 11 had 11 crew members. Six. New York was the 11th state added to the Union. Seven. The words, quote, New York City, end quote, have exactly 11 letters. Afghanistan which was the first nation the US attacked following 9-11 has 11 letters the name George W. Bush has 11 letters the Pentagon which was also attacked on 9-11 has 11 letters and finally (laughs) Flight 77 which is an additional twin master number hit the Pentagon which is located on the 77th meridian. And the foundation stone for the Pentagon was laid in 1941 on guess what? September 11th in a Masonic ceremony. That Good a total grief. Of 11
1: 11s. Oh, so and, oh, the list is even 11?
0: Yeah. It's, it's a list of 11. That's nuts. And this isn't my list, man. I didn't realize this until I, I uh, annotated this out. And numbered it. And I was like, oh my gosh, it really forms 11. Because all of this is, is derived. It's listed on page 72 of Tom Horn's book, Apollyon Rising 2012,
1: which that's is what I insane. highly recommend
0: you get. He details this stuff out. Well,
1: you did not disappoint. <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> I, I remember you vaguely doing that before. I had no idea there were specifically 11 things. And man, that's nuts.
0: Yeah, every time I read Tom Tom's work, man, I, I get goosebumps and I get fired up. He is such a great researcher and he ties this esoteric stuff together so well. It's just like, man, I wish there were more people like that. No doubt. But here's one of the things that I I found interesting. Um, I remember dude, probably about, I want to say seven, about seven years ago. I remember being on the road, you and I working for the same company and coming back from one of our, uh, out of town locations, and I was I was um, taking in content, and this particular <laughs> content that I, I was absorbing had a a section in it where it talked about nine eleven and some of the preparatory work that had been done on society to condition us to become more and more comfortable with the idea and how 9/11 was not a new idea but something that had been alluded to for decades going as back into this as far back as as the 1970s that's and crazy and i was I, it, it is but i i was fascinated and recently when we decided we were going to do this episode i was like oh man i got to go back and get that i went to my 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 watch history and could not find it listed in my, my YouTube history. Okay, and so I figured it's probably been scrubbed. And right. it was it was a segment of a video. Could not remember what the video was titled. This was when I was still new to the game, and uh, wasn't <laughs> smart enough to to actually you know start stockpiling this information, believing that the internet could even be scrubbed. Mm-hmm. And so I did a little search, and I wasn't able to find the video, but I was able to find the section. Of the video that dealt with this predictive programming. Okay, okay. Now, for people who don't understand, they might hear the term predictive programming and are like, "What is that?" Predictive programming is actually a cognitive conditioning technique that is based on researched mind control methods established by the Tavistock Institute. Now, the, St- the Tavistock Institute is a rather clandestine organization that is focused on understanding, developing, and implementing mind control techniques that range from the individual to large-scale social groups setting the stage for the new world order or the satanic control matrix being worked out in society. Okay. I pulled a couple samples from the film and you'll see uh, in our notes, we'll, we'll we'll try to put these on Instagram as well for people to see. Okay. But crack magazine, 1975 has an issue. And in the background, you clearly see a, a huge tower in a plane going into it with explosions halfway, about two-thirds up. Okay. Very weird just to have that as a as a backdrop. Move forward. And again, these are just what? samples. Hang
1: on real quick. It's also interesting that the fire exists outside of the impact point of the airplane.
0: Right. That I think is interesting. As in something has already hit it. Right, right. And there's a, this is another plane coming into it. Mm-hmm. Um 1976, you got Cookie Monster taking over New York City, taking huge bites out of the Twin Towers. Okay. Right? So the destruction of the towers again is a is a motif. Right. Nineteen seventy six. Right. Uh there was a book release, nine eleven book. And notice it, on the cover of it, it has nine one one on fire. The one mm-hmm. one definitely looks like the towers and they're lit. Right. And if you look at the actual, uh, the actual, what is it? The, not the, not the subtitle, but what they use um, to kind of explain the book, the Christmas bomber has the perfect gift for New York city. 12 days of uninterrupted terror. Suddenly New York's hottest line will be the emergency number. Jeez, Nine one one. hmm. Another random uh, publication, 1987 Marvel film, Look right at it. It's got the Pentagon with a hole in the side mm-hmm. smoldering out. It's if something was, was crashed into it. 1994 vice magazine. What is Al Qaeda? If you look at, at the picture, you see twin towers with two planes circling them. Jeez. This makes all the, the, the
1: lie that like we couldn't have ever imagined something like this happening so much more
0: incriminating. Exactly. And then everybody's favorite, The Simpsons, 1997. Take a look at that screenshot. What does it say? New York bus New York. ride, $9. In the background, what do you see? The $20. Twin Towers.
1: That's 911. Exactly.
0: exactly. Jeez. 2011, the Coop album cover. 2001? I'm sorry, 2001, yeah. Plus, sugar's getting low. 2001, <laughs> the, the Coop album cover. What do you see? Twin Towers, explosions halfway up on both. Mm -hmm. And it's the coup. That's nuts, bro. These are random, dude. There are so many more. The video file that that shows this is 55 minutes long. Jeez. There are so many more examples. They've got actual video footage of like G.I. Joe crashing into the towers. You've got people from the WW uh, or yeah, the WF like Hogan and, and, and uh, Randy Savage talking about, we're going to bring the twin towers down tonight, brother. It's coming down. These two twin towers are going to be on fire. Jeez. Just over and over and over. The idea gets seeded into the mind, right? We got to include a link in the, in the show notes
2: for the okay. operators
0: so they can go ahead and get this. I'll do that. But this was a disaster and this was not an accident. This was a a national disaster where many people lost their lives. And we could go further to say it wasn't just a disaster, but really was a sacrifice, mm-hmm. a tragedy yeah. that people were sacrificed for the ends of an, of a, of a, of an esoteric government that has, has declared that is in no way a Christian nation and has welcomed Mm -hmm. every pagan deity into its borders. Yeah. We can't forget that. And the thing here is that justice can't be served unless we hold the guilty parties accountable. You know, right. the implications of this being a government operation are, are just absolutely staggering. And we have by no means covered an exhaustive list here. No, just scratch but, the surface. Exactly. But it should have us call into question who and what we can trust. That's always a fundamental question that we need to keep before our minds. You know, mm-hmm. how do we navigate living in a nation with a hostile government? Can it even be done? I think it can. I think it so, takes too. A different, yeah, it takes a different kind of mindset than what most Americans have been conditioned to have. Right. You know, those who have planned, executed and now are concealing this tragedy have been methodical and relentless in their efforts. And if we aren't prepared to respond in kind, you know, to band together and fine tune, maintain and engage our minds like a well oiled thought machine. Then any time we put forth effort to speak about the victims of this terror attack, all any, all, the only thing that anyone's going to hear is really this. La, 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 la. That's not what you want to hear. Not at all. Right? Here's the thing. People are going to tell you that the terrorist attacks on, on September 11th were the work of, of a foreign enemy, right? You're going to be given the, the boogeyman scenario. And it's going to focus on a foreign entity, you know, typically Osama bin Laden. And it's right. going to be that they were upset and disliked the American way of life. And that norm is going to be cast against the idea that we're a Christian nation. You have to slow yourself down to really vet that one out. Are mm-hmm. we a Christian nation? Just said a moment ago our government declared that it is in no way a Christian nation with its uh, Treaty of Tripoli. Yeah. And it ratified that position. Furthermore, we put it on on our capital buildings. We, we've put pagan gods all around our capital city. And even this, those, those prominent forefathers declare, like Thomas Jefferson, that this is not a Christian nation. It is dedicated to all pagan gods. So the idea that foreign entities are upset with our way of life because they may be Muslim and we may be quote unquote Christian is a false dichotomy. That's not the reason they're upset. What we must do is actually consider the true actions of our government and what we do abroad and the corruption that we're involved in. And that might give some basis of understanding for why people may see us the way we do. But that still does not at all help to explain what happened on 9-11. Because it seems as we go through the detailed work, the official timeline, as we look at what happened with Building 7, when we look at how the towers came down, when we look at what we did afterwards, when we consider that prior to this, 33 weeks prior to this whole thing kicking off, our commander in chief stood on the stairs of the Capitol building, just completing his occult pagan ritual of an inauguration. And during that address actually stated and welcomed in an ancient demonic entity. And that entity was further welcomed and addressed in the halls of Congress. All leading to what we would say is a mega occult ritual offering that was powerful enough to compel supernatural forces to do the nation's bidding and dislodge the principality over Babylon, which is present day Iraq, in order to take hold of the resources. When we consider all of that, we can't just look at 9-11 through the lens of the official narrative. It just doesn't hold up. Right. And that can be very discomforting for people. You know, if you can't trust the official narrative, what can you trust? The official narrative helps to provide some framework, some measure of peace, some measure of sobriety. And in a nation that that avidly denies the credibility of the Bible. You're lost. You're you're lost when you're out there. So people cling to that. They want the official narrative. To actually be true and if it is it puts them in a false place of security and you can't have that you know sometimes it's very difficult to dislodge people from their place of 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 welcomed ignorance of willful ignorance mm-hmm. and so i'm not that good at it and christopher <laughs> you might be a little bit better but we had to go to an expert to help us yeah we had to avail the services of of command or Master Sergeant Miles Cortic, who is an expert at helping people realize where they really are because some people think they're, they're on the back hills of Kansas when the truth is
3: you are not in Kansas anymore you are on Pandora ladies and gentlemen respect that fact every second of every day
4: out there beyond that fence, every living thing that crawls, flies, or squats in the mud wants to kill you and eat your eyes for jujubes.
3: If you wish to survive, you need to cultivate a strong mental attitude. You've got to obey the rules.
1: Obey the rules. The rules of engagement. Rule number one is educate yourself. And the root of that for a Christian has always got to be the Bible. So what does scripture really tell us? Scripture tells us that he has overcome. John 16, these things I have spoken to you that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I know you've, for years, you've hated
0: this scripture, haven't you, Jason? It's not one of my favorite. <laughs>
1: Yeah, when you're when you're not in the midst of tribulation, it, it sounds daunting, but I think I mean we're just talked about, you know, all of this. It's nice to know that God God sees us in the midst of our our turmoil,
0: right? Yeah. I but just wanted to all- say something different because yeah, you got tribulation, but be of good cheer. I'm (laughs) overcoming. It's not what's going to make me happy, Lord. Tell me I don't have to go through it. Right. You need that instant gratification. I need it. I crave it. I need you to tell me it's okay. I won't have to deal with anything.
1: (laughs) Uh, That's funny. No, but I think that we should be able to take take heart in the fact that we are ultimately on the winning team. Like we are in the midst of a battle, no no doubt. Right. But we're not going to be on the losing side. And Scripture warns us even even more so than just tribulation of the 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 current and the coming unrest. So Matthew twenty four six, he says, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, and you hear this all the time, right? I, I think this is a maybe an overused scripture, if that's possible. But he says, see that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So it's 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 going to get bad. But the the thing that hit me differently with this scripture for this episode is. A lot of times, when you bring stuff like this up, you know, you get uh, accused of fear mongering or just, you know, trying to make people terrified and, you know, with, with all of this dark information. But that's not why we're here. It's not fear that we want to leave you with. It's it's a heightened sense of things, you know, so you can be more aware of your your surroundings. But you know what? I, mm. I think they said it best in, in 300.
2: The wolf begins to circle the boy. Claws of black steel. Fur as dark night. Eyes glowing red. Jewels from the pit of hell itself. The giant wolf, sniffing. Savoring the scent of the meal to come. It's not fear that grips him, only a heightened sense of things. His hands are steady. His form. Perfect.
1: It's not fear, but it's a heightened sense of things. It's knowing who your enemy is. If you don't know who your enemy is, then you can't be effective about either defending or coming against it. And that's mm-hmm. what we're here to do, to equip to make strong, to to help establish a a higher sense of what's going on has nothing to do with fear whatsoever. But something Scripture anticipates, and this just blows me away. For in the the whole time we've been doing the podcast, the more and more I look at this, the more amazing that I think it is. In Revelation three nine, it says, "Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie." Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. How in the world, 2,000 years ago, I mean, outside of, you know, Holy Spirit inspiration, how would you have known that this small sect under Roman rule would somehow have a, a global impact? Right. Mm-hmm. But not just that, that there'd be a group of people masquerading as Jews that really aren't Jews. You know, we touched a little bit in this episode about, you know, our economy is bound by the Ashkenazi banking system and Babylonian money magic. These are the Jews that say they're, or the people that say they're Jews, but they're not. And this just, it rings true. I love all of the places that the Bible just. I mean, with pinpoint accuracy hits what we have to deal with today, and you could never tell me that this was, was accidental or that anybody could have figured this out 2,000 years ago. This is a fingerprint of the Holy Spirit that shows us that the Bible is relevant to address the things that we're dealing with today, even the things that a lot of people have difficult coming, a difficult time coming to terms with. And, exactly, man.
0: Yeah, and I, I think you're spot on. You know, there's a scripture that talks about, "I am the God who knows the end from the beginning." Mm-hmm. Right? It's one of His principal characteristics. He can tell things. He's able to give you history before it happens. Yes, yes. And I think it's absolutely fascinating, like you pointed out, that Scripture is able to do that. And I think that is often obfuscated in today's culture. They cover that up. You know, with mm-hmm. the with a culture that questions constantly the historicity of scripture and the authority of scripture. Why would I want to trust a book that was rewritten hundreds and hundreds of times? You couldn't be rewritten hundreds and hundreds of times and have that in there. You right. have to undo all the other copies and mm-hmm. you have to go undo the scrolls that were written before that, that contain the change. Right. That you're going to go back and put in after it happened. Like, mm-hmm. It It is an impossible task. Right. Right. You know, I, I tell you, though, man, what we said earlier, uh, gentleman that you you referenced where he talked about. He doesn't get involved in this whole thermite discussion because of the issue of lack of information, misinformation and disinformation. Yeah. Love that whole distinction and qualifier because it rings home for me on this reality. You not only have to know the battlefield that you are deployed to. You have to know the enemy you fight. That is so critical. You have to have the mindset correct, which is why rule number rule one is so important in educating yourself. Mm -hmm. But then you have to know who your enemy is so that you know who you are fighting, right? So that you can follow rule two, which is don't cede any ground to your enemy. How can you not cede ground if you don't know who your enemy is? And if your enemy is cloaked in deception, then it's cloaked in lack of information, misinformation, and disinformation. And that makes it so much harder to see. But seeing your enemy is how you identify who you are after. I see- The way this ends is by identifying your enemy and enacting the biblical counteroffensive strike baggage. You expose your enemy, you oppose him, and you depose him. Ephesians one tells us you don't have fellowship with the works of darkness. You expose where they're at. James 5.7 tells us to subject ourselves to the authority of Scripture and use that authority to resist the devil. And finally, we send back artillery. With 2 Corinthians 10.5, you demolish every argument, every pretension, every agenda, every framework that exalts itself against what God has said is true. And keeps people suppressed, keeps people oppressed, keeps people in bondage so that they're not able to know the truth, which is him. That's how you would fight back against your enemy. But if you're going to do that. That's fantastic. (laughs) If you're going to do that. You got to understand there's a requirement and that requirement is the third rule. You pray like it's all up to God and you work your behind off like it's all up to you.
1: Yeah, for sure. You got to do both. So I think some of the stuff that we can pray for, number one, pray for the survivors of the victims, anyone that's had to suffer loss. I mean, because as much as we, you know, have are able to go on a tangent and pull this apart and try to uncover, but the, the actual, the price that was paid for the occult ritual is real. And, and and there are people suffering for that. So I think, number one, if we're in regards to this particular content, you know, I, I would start with, with the. I put survivors of victims, but I think they could be listed as, vi- as victims too. They just didn't lose their life, right? Of is course. that fair? Definitely. Okay. okay. So, yeah. So, all of the victims of the atrocity, and not just uh, American victims.
0: Right. You got to say right. this, Iraqi and Afghani victims, people who were caught up in this that had nothing to do with the war that our government or governments have enacted. Right. What was it like four
1: total across the board for the war of terror? 4.5 million people.
0: I didn't even I mean that's that. that's crazy.
1: That that, that's a hard number to wrap your mind around.
0: Yeah. OK, put it in context, though. 4.5 million people dead mm-hmm. is more than what died in the concentration camps during the Holocaust. Oh, ho, ho. yeah. All right. So, so that means that it's a Holocaust plus of people that have been killed as a result of this, this conflict.
1: Jeez.
0: That's huge.
1: Yeah. Wow. Huge. I think something else that we could pray for is those that are caught up in the web of lies, which is the mainstream narrative, the thing to keep you docile, to keep you going to the government that did this to you and your fellow Americans and people all all across the world. I think I love what Dan
0: Duvall calls that the false reality overlay.
1: Yes, yes. I keep forgetting that term. I love when you bring it up, the false reality overlay. Yes. Pray that people are able to... To, to see through it or pointed out of it, because it, it really is crippling to be bound under that. And the, the third thing that I have is pray that we can see and know how to respond. That would be the, the one thing. Seeing is one thing, knowing how to respond. Because I think so often we forget the fact that when you acquire knowledge, it dictates a subsequent behavioral change. Hmm. So to do what?
0: That's a really good point.
1: Thank you. Mm -hmm. But then when you acquire a uh, a paradigm changing amount of information like this, because I've talked to a lot of people that were like, "Look, I believed it before. I would have said you were crazy to say it was an inside job." I'm several people, all demographics, all over the place. They're like, "Now, not so much." But if you're if if acquiring knowledge requires the subsequent behavioral change and you require this knowledge that is a paradigm shattering amount of knowledge then you're left with what is the appropriate response what am i supposed to do with that that in and of itself can push people back over the line to i don't i don't want to play in this sandbox because i don't know what i'm doing here
4: mm-hmm.
1: but but learning and i think prayerfully the the holy spirit can guide us through the knowing how to respond to something like this. What steps do you take after? How do you realign your your trust? How do you realign your philosophies about the government that's, that's over you and those types of things? But that's a lot to deal with on your own, and the Holy Spirit is primed and ready to help you. That's good. Thanks. So that moves us into the work. First thing I have for work is that we have to let go of preconceived notions and look at Events kind of like we're coming into it new.
0: You know, I I like that. There's an old saying that uh, the barrier to truth is the the notion that one already has it.
1: Yes, yes. I was thinking about that. I was doing notes for a different episode. I was like, "What is that quote?" And I was racking my brain trying to come up with it. But yeah, that's that's excellent.
0: Yeah, you have to be willing to have enough humility to say, "Let me let me check this out from a different perspective." Right. Maybe you don't
1: know. You look at it
0: with without
1: your, your biases.
0: Right. And maybe looking at it may confirm what you already suspected or your position prior to and strengthen it. Mm-hmm. But coming into it afresh is, is so important. You know, they, we even have scriptural precedents for that with the Bereans who listened to what was being presented to them about the Bible. They accepted it with all openness of mind. But then they went back to search the scriptures to see if it was true. Right. Accept something first. That's not where it ends. Right. You don't just accept it and run. You have to go vet it. Mm-hmm. Vet it first against scripture and then vet it against the, the uh, um, ostensible facts. Right, right. So here's
1: something that I, th- I really think is important because I even struggle with this from time to time. Um, events in my life have kind of brought it uh, into a little bit more clarity, but I think that we really need to behave as though our government is a hostile agent. Because mm. our government is a hostile agent, well, how do you mean that well there's uh, the the first thing you know we talk about trust and aligning your um, um your affections that's that's the first thing, but the other thing that we that we need to do, and I often re- am reminded of a conversation that I had with my dad and He was very much a Christian man trusted in God, you know, the whole remarriage to my mom and his life transformation is all based off of the miraculous life-changing power of Jesus Christ. But then he would always talk about retirement and and all of his hope for his future was in a system that that is stacked against him. And I was like, where is Jesus in your hope for retirement? And this was a real interesting eye-opening conversation for him cuz he hadn't considered it. You know, we we sometimes it's easy to believe in Jesus for today, but tomorrow is is not his issue. Like that's somebody yeah. else. That's stuff I got to do or that's stuff, you know, that I'm and, and and it's not unwise to have plans for the future and prepare. But when all of your plans are seated in the hostile government agency, That's when it becomes a problem. So I think anything that we can do, even small steps to emancipate ourselves, you know, whether it be have a way to purify water, maybe, you know, have some stored food supplies, maybe um, look at alternate lifestyles or the option of alternate lifestyles just in case something happens. Like we need to kind of shake ourselves from the shackles that our our future is nicely secure in the hands of Uncle Sam because it's not we at least need to take some steps and prepare for the possibility that we'll be in free fall. Exactly. So those are are some things. And again, you know, you tie that to the prayer. Everybody's journey is different. Everybody's location is different. Um, You know, everybody's um, shift or transfer away from trusting the government is gonna, the walk's gonna be a little bit different. So, but I, I think it's important. The other thing in the midst of all of this is we should be moved towards compassion. Not being overly soft and kind and let people walk all over us, but realizing that all of the other people that you see in this nation are also under its hostility and have that be at least factored in to our interactions and exchange with people. Yes, it should be you know modeling Jesus, but then we're also dealing with this as well um, I think it is, is important and, and would say a lot for the individual. So th- that's a few things.
0: I think that's good.
1: Thanks. And I also, or we want to, Jason and I would like to thank everyone for listening and sharing the show. You've been so supportive. All of the different countries that have tuned in to ORP Podcast would only be possible um, by you guys sharing the show. So we're we're incredibly indebted to you. Thank you for that. Um, if just listening isn't enough, consider joining our Patreon. We acquired Irina and Joseph, and we can't remember if we mentioned them before or not, so we'll just bring them up again. Thank you, Irina. Thank you, Joseph, for coming on and uh, helping
0: support us. I second that. It, it was so great to see both of them, particularly Irina, Uh very close personal friend, and <laughs> uh, so really good uh, to see her join. Yeah. It was awesome.
1: It was awesome. For anyone else that's interested in joining our Patreon, you can find us at patreon.com forward slash orp podcast. And there's three tiers that you can get in on uh, with, with different levels of content, depending on how much Operation Red Pill you were in the mood for. So our first tier is our Cover Fire tier, five bucks a month. It gets you all the links and resources we use to make the episodes. So you can fact check us. You know, it helps in your journey of... Um, you know, accepting what we say and then doing the research yourself. Uh, but also, any bonus episodes, any full length episodes, anytime we do something like that, that five dollar tier secures all of our podcast content and the links and resources that we put together to achieve that. And then the next tier going up, our Overwatch tier, our tier two operator, seven bucks a month gets you everything in tier one as well as access to the actual studio notes that we look at as we navigate the episode. And a lot of times, there's a bunch of stuff in there we just don't have time to
0: cover. Including this week.
1: Right, right. And then it also gives you the um, like the images and things that we talk about putting on Instagram, different things like that. It, it's a really cool kind of VIP backstage, behind-the-scenes type of feature, if that's what you're into. And then, if you want to get all the ORP that you possibly can handle... Our Bring the Rain tier, our tier three operators for $10 a month gets you everything's in tier one and two, plus the opportunity to participate in a monthly Zoom call with both Jason and I. And that is fun. Oh, it's always a good time. Always looking forward
0: to it. So much organic stuff that that we end up talking about in those, Uh those sessions. Yeah. I think they're great. Mhm. That's always super encouraging to get the feedback
1: and you know what other people think and you know just the the other minds contributing to conversation is really cool.
0: Right, right, right.
1: But here's the last thing that you can do is remind yourself of what scripture tells us, which is that we are never alone and we're not fighting alone. God promises to never leave us and we have a community of believers in the podverse in Patreon across the globe and a loving God that intervenes on our behalf. Because one day we will know the whole truth. One day ultimate justice will be had. And one day we can rest in the peace and trustworthiness of our government because it'll be the government of the most high. But until then, we are deployed to this dystopian rock by our savior in chief, the very one that's commissioned us on a seesaw.
0: That's right. We're on a combat search and rescue mission here, people. And be advised, the hostages we're after are likely to be hostile towards us. But you know what? We still gotta go get them. Now our task in order is simple. We're to search for and rescue anyone that can be sympathetic to Christ, but is currently held hostage under Satan's deception. And make no mistake, we will be operating in a hostile environment, but the rules of engagement are clear. Listen to me. You take fire, we expect you to get fired. And I need you to keep your head on a swivel out there. You stay frosty, stay faithful, and above all, stay in the fight. That means do not give up, because we're counting on you. You ain't alone out there. We're fighting right next to you. And we'll see you out there again, fighting on the front line. 10-4.